The following is intended only for mature audiences. Discretion advised. Okay, let's talk about this Spawn fucking image shit. Hey, everybody, welcome to Spawnometer. I'm still not sure why you had me read Cyber Force Egg. I couldn't link it to anything we've read before. We didn't really talk about the cover of Spawn 25. What did you think of the Sylvester cover? Oh, it looked good. Yeah, really nice where he's on this church steeple and yeah. the lightning and everything. Okay, the cover is definitely very Spawny, where Cyber Force dude is crouched up on a building and there's like ribbons and stuff everywhere instead of chains. So, what's the name? Ripclaw, right? He's on the cover, yeah. Yeah, Ripclaw. You notice if you look at Cyber Force number eight, it's a very familiar cover. I thought you had me read this because it's pretty gory, but that was about it. And Psych Out was kind of a cool concept. So yeah, it's a pink cover with Ripclaw doing the spawn thing. It's exactly that. It's a cover swipe. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, it even says on the cover, McFarlane after Sylvester. You asshole, you made me read this just for that, didn't you? No. I wanted to do something special for our 25th episode. And so we're going to cover the Image X month. You remember Image X month? No. That was the month where all the Image creators swapped books. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I remember. That's right. That's why Mark Sylvester drew spawn, because that was the two books that swiped. The, the that swapped. The energy of comics has never had a revolution. If you weren't there, you just don't get idea. These guys were rock stars. These guys were Elvis, all of them. It was like seven Elvises. There were riot police. There were helicopters in the air. This is for a comic book store signing. I've never seen comic creators generate that kind of excitement, and I don't believe I will yet. I, I do not believe it's possible. Looks like Spawn number 25. Zero image, right? We are going to, but we also are talking about the Image X month where the creators all crossed over into each other's books. I got you, I got you. So I'll read the solicitation they've got. Image X month. There are mysterious things happening at Image Comics this month. Inexplicably, the original Image artists have disappeared from their drawing boards, leaving only a scribbled note saying, gone to Image X headquarters. The problem is no one knows where Image X headquarters is or what its function is. So far, we have had one single communication from Image X headquarters and we printed it verbatim on the following page to everyone from ImageX headquarters by now we're sure everyone is wondering what we are up to for security reasons we can't tell you but one thing is certain don't be surprised if in September Todd McFarlane doesn't create Spawn Eric Larson doesn't create the Savage Dragon Jim Lee doesn't create Wildcats Rob Liefeld doesn't create Youngblood Mark Sylvester doesn't create Cyberforce Jim Valentino doesn't create Shadowhawk but all six issues will be published and all will be written and drawn by us the Image Founding Fathers but we can't tell you who will be creating which book is this for real is it a hoax or a dream no way it's ImageX month and we're just having fun and that's what comics are all about that was the end of the message and so it's savage dragon number 13 spawn number 25 young blood number nine shadowhawk number zero cyber force number eight and wildcast number 14 it made some kind of sense because essentially most of the founders decided this was a good time for them to either take a hiatus or come back from a hiatus the last time todd mcfarlane drew a monthly comic book was spawn number 24 and so he comes in and does a guest issue of cyber force and then that's pretty much it for him drawing monthly comics for the rest of his career, essentially. He's done inking and embellishments wow. and stuff, but he's never penciled a book on a regular basis since then. Liefeld came back to doing Youngblood after about a year-long hiatus, right around the time of this swap. Let's do Image Zero. A mail-in incentive comic offered by Image in their first year of publishing. You had to order seven books intended for release in August of 1992, including Brigade Number 2, Cyberforce Number 1, Savage Dragon Number 3, Shadowhawk Number 1, Spawn Number 4, Wildcast Number 2, and Youngblood Number 0. Each book had a stapled-in page of a different color, and you had to clip a coupon 
coupon from each to redeem your free comic, all of which I bought new. You'd send in the mail-in coupons with a check for $2.50 to get the comic. However, at that time, I didn't have a permanent place of residence, and the book shipped so late that the deadline was probably narrow. So I never did send off for my copy of the book. I think I traded many of the comics for more but less valuable comics, so it wasn't all bad. The Chromium Age mail-order comics giant American Entertainment handled the processing. From what I understand, American Entertainment was a huge success that owner Steve Milo built up to a 17 million business between 1986 and 1996. Then he got in bed with venture capitalists and the speculator bust hit, destroying the company. According to Argie DeBleek Jr.'s pipeline column, late of comic book resources, the Image Zero incentive powered images overtaking of DC Comics and sales for the first time to become the number two publisher in North America. Shadow, the Shadowhawk that almost was. Should I not have read that? Yeah, Did I read I mean, the wrong no, we, thing? We can I talk apologize. about that. That was the wrong thing. Yeah. There oh, are a couple shit. of. I, I haven't read that story in over a year since I kicked the trade over to you, and I don't remember that well. And it's a little bitty pissant thing anyway. Because you just read it and it's fresh in your mind, why don't you tell us about the Shadowhawk that could have been? There's not really much of a story here. It's basically just Jim Valentino describing the character that he had originally pitched to Marvel Comics that was. Well, first it was going to be. I guess they were doing this deal where they, you know, it was trendy to go. Go back to the old like Archie shit and was it Archie? Yeah, the old Archie, Archie comic yeah. stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, they're talking about how Liefeld was going to bring the shield back and stuff like that. So there's a character called the Fox. You take the Fox and you're going to make him the new extreme Batman. By the way, have you um, ever read any Fox stories? You know anything about that character? No, no, nothing about yeah. him. See, when I was a kid, uh, they had a brief push for the Mighty Crusaders. Archie had done this thing called the Red Circle Group, and they tried to do a revival, but they did the thing that a lot of these companies do that really screws them up. Is they decide they're going to try to launch a new line of titles, staffed exclusively by out of date old washed up creators that the fans had already rejected the big two companies but they're affordable so they try to launch a line out of those guys and ends up being this sort of like last raw the old fogies and so all the titles read like early bronze age stuff I've actually read some Fox stories and I still can't tell you much about him I mean I guess he's kind of a daredevil type sort of kinda and I had his crummy action figure that Remco did where they all had the fat thighs did you ever have any of the Mighty Crusades figures? No I don't think so. The thighs that plugged in to a ball joint and so all the figures just looked swollen also they used the same bodies for everybody and they just switched out the heads which was a common Rimco trick so you'd think they would have done a better sculpt on the bodies but they all just sort of look like bloated and shit it makes sense that they would have tried to bring back the Archie characters again which I think ultimately went over to DC I think that probably became the impact line and that failed there too because they don't do what they're supposed to do if you're going to try to launch a line for starters don't try to keep relaunching the same characters that haven't been successful since the 1940s so that was what it was really going to be and then I guess the uh, Archie people walked it back and they didn't want to do that shit and make this like super extreme version of their character who was like extremely brutal when he was to work on Guardians of the Galaxy, he was going to have Starhawk become Darkhawk, and then Darkhawk's name got taken, so they were going to call him Shadowhawk, and then he thought that the fucking concept was so cool, he was like, I ain't wasting this shit, basically. 
basically well, on actually, if I remember correctly, Guardians of the Galaxy. Didn't the editor tell him that's a cool name? Don't waste it on a variant version of Starhawk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom DeFalco. That's what he said. No, no, no. You just need to make this your own character. So he sort of put it in his back pocket. And then when his what was the first group he did at Image? What do you mean? The first his first did? book. You mean at Marvel? A, a Val- no, Valentino's well, book no, at Image. Okay, so Marvel. Okay, when Valentino was at Marvel, and that's the thing too is he probably was talking to Archie people before he ever broke in at Marvel because of course he came from small press indie comics and he didn't get to do a lot of superhero stuff until he slowly worked his way in the back door through the what if work he was doing so he got guardians and like all the other image guys the plan was to basically do a carbon copy of the book they were selling at marvel over at image but not all the other guys stuck to that like the thought was that mark silvestri would probably just do ripclaw but he said he did cyberforce's whole team valentino looked at how almost all image creators were doing team books rather than solo characters and realized that he maybe needed to fill that niche so he wouldn't get lost in the sea of teams so his original plan was he was going to do a guardians type team either far future or outer space and that eventually became the alliance but by the time they were announcing the early image books i guess he'd already decided that that wasn't going to work so he's going to try to do a solo series for one of the members of that group called clone and i remember clone was the one who's the insectoid figure but i guess he probably thought better of that too because he might have been too weird and too hard to sell to an audience so i think he decided that he needed a more of a batman type character and that's how shadowhawk came about he said i mutant later called clone and then he did the pact he said that he was a little self-conscious because none of his comics had ever sold broken that 500,000 copy barrier like everybody else so his pitch to Marvel for Shadowhawk Mark Texera had done all the concept art for so basically this little blurb here is showing all the Tex concept shots and he basically couldn't bring Tex with him to image because of his contract so he had to do it himself and redesign the character a little bit started up Shadowhawk when Shadowhawk was being developed with Mark Texera was it going to be at Marvel I yes I believe so Tex ended up doing I think Wolverine at that time period after Sylvester left and I guess Valentino just started doing the work on his own and then eventually once Texera got out of his Marvel contract he was over at Image doing Union instead. Right. What I saw of Tex's designs I really don't know that that character is very visually compelling. Looks like Union. <laughs> he looks like he's got like a Cyclops visor with his exposed hair popping out the top and he's got a cape. Was it a cape um, or a trench? It's hard. You can't tell. Yeah, it's, it's pretty sketchy. It looks like, very it looks loose, like right? a cape, dude. Yeah, is it? Okay. It looks like a cape to me. See, I, I love Mark Texera, and it was interesting seeing Tex do more of a sci-fi type character since it wasn't really he was associated with. I think him doing a Shadowhawk type of character would have been more in his wheelhouse, but I don't know if it would have been as interesting. Valentino doing a dark vigilante character where he was known for doing more bright, shiny Guardians type stuff, I think maybe actually worked for them. They both did better by switching away from what they were known for and doing something a little bit different. I think it maybe was a little bit more exciting than it would have been if they just stayed in their respective lanes. Yeah, and, and he's he was like, can you imagine me coming off of Guardians of the Galaxy and Mark Texera coming off a of Ghost Rider doing this book together? It would have been huge! I think, I think he might that, have done okay. I mean, I think I, I think Union did think pretty well. Right. Yeah, I think it would have been cool, but I guess things kind of worked out the way they were supposed to. Yeah, probably. I actually wouldn't have minded to see Tex's take on the actual Shadowhawk. Did he ever actually? I think it, yeah, I th- it I, eludes well, in the back of this. That he, yeah, yeah, yeah. The he finally got a chance to do it. Right. Yeah, the plan. Well, no, actually, the plan was that Keith Giffen was going to do the first arc because Texera didn't have the time to launch the new series, Images of Shadowhawk, which was going to be sort of like Shadowhawk's Legends of the Dark Knight, his anthology title where they were going to bring in different creators. And so, since Tex wasn't ready for that first arc, they went ahead and plugged in Keith Giffen. And I think also there's a little bit of a sympathy fuck quality to it because they canceled Trencher out from under Keith Giffen. So it was sort of like a Mia Culpa was like, okay, well, come do Images of Shadowhawk. You can include Trencher in there, a little bit more visibility for the character. And 
and then wherever you take that character will hopefully be a softer landing that way. Then Texier proceeded to not only not get the first arc done, but he never did what was supposed to be the second arc either. And then the industry collapsed and they never made any more images of Shadowhawk as a result. So the only time I think that Tex ever drew Shadowhawk was for a trading card series. And I think they upscaled the art for that into a one-off comic book. There was shots from the cards. So I think that you did get to see a yeah, text, yeah. but that was very limited exposure. I do see there's a Vampirella Shadowhawk. Yeah, he um, did the cover for that, but he didn't do the interiors, unfortunately. Yeah, the cover's pretty badass. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a text cover. That's Good enough said. Painted text. Yeah. Love text. there. Cool, brother. I have to double check. I haven't gone back and listened to the episode yet, but my recollection is that we either did not cover the original Shadowhawk story or we covered it rather quickly. And so Shadowhawk, of course, debuted in Youngblood number two as one of the extra image bonus stories. And it's a fairly short one. It's in the trade paperback, which is, I believe, where you read it, Mac. So can you tell us the story? We're talking about the very first story at the front of this. Uh, right, right. It, I think it, they even have the faux cover for it, I think, on there. Because he got the one that Liefeld did where it's Shadowhawk bursting out from amongst the members of the home team of Youngblood. And then the interior, where I yep, think it has yep, like his yep. face and profile and shit. Yeah, with his uh, MC Escher helmet. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay, so this story is Prelude. And I guess I can just read. There's not a lot of text here on the first page, so we'll just do it. Last night, you threw down the paper in disgust. You have stood silently by long enough. A grandmother was brutally raped. A young boy eviscerated. A father who abused his own daughter was set free on a technicality. You used to believe in the system. You can't anymore. It has failed you. It has failed society. And in each panel, he is uh, whipping somebody else's ass. Next page. There are monsters lurking in the shadows of the night. They are vile. They are ruthless. And their prey is humanity. The armor you wear will stop their bullets. The infrared lenses afford you sight in the darkness. You feel a certain amount of satisfaction as his spine breaks. And he is breaking some punk's spine. This one, at least, will never threaten an innocent again. No matter what the courts decide, you are Shadowhawk. You are taking back the night. And that's the whole issue. Have you ever read any Shadowhawk material before today? Man, I feel like I have, haven't I? No. Have we not uh, done Shadowhawk stuff? I don't think I have independently of podcasting duties read any Shadowhawk. I've definitely flipped through this stuff in random comic book stores back in the early 90s. No, I've never like, hey, let me pick up this four-issue Shadowhawk run and read it. I'm going to say no. What did you think about this debut story? <laughs> I thought it was extremely brutal. I was expecting it to be like all these image characters were, where it's their DC or Marvel counterpart turned paid cable, right? Where it's just <laughs> a little harder, a little darker. But I thought it was especially... I mean, I guess if you're only going to give you three paid, three or four pages to hook a bunch of people in and you want to get the point across, I think it does what it's supposed to do. Where, you know, he's not just, I'm Batman, I'm going to slap some handcuffs on some dudes, or I'm taking him to jail in the court system where he's acknowledging the guy who abused his kids in the court system let him off on a technicality and he, he ain't going to let that happen anymore. That kind of stuff, it's striking. It's a little weird to compare this story to what we know today because there's always that big trope back in the 70s after the Miranda riots were reinforced by the Supreme Court that they're letting all these people out on technicalities and then we look back on it today and it's like no they're actually like putting everybody into prisons on technicalities they're not letting anybody go they're trying to put as many people into the damned for-profit prisons as possible so Shadowhawk's whole murderous operandi doesn't necessarily work that great in a modern context and I'm not sure how it I think I guess it worked toward our assumptions in the 90s but probably not the reality of it yeah yeah but again it's very early 90s 
Right. It fits its time, I guess. But yeah, today it's a little problematic. You can't go around <laughs> paralyzing people without due process, dude. <laughs> what do you think about the second person narrative? Uh, I thought it, I think it's effective. Like I said, I, I think for a three or four issue blur with no plot, you definitely get the point across that this is obviously a dude who's fed up with everything, with both sides of the law slash the criminals themselves and is going to take things into his own hands, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's effective. It made me kind of want to read a little more Shadowhawk. It's almost like a first person video game where they're talking about Shadowhawk, but they're almost talking to you as a reader, as though you're in the role of Shadowhawk, pumps you up a little bit by having that particular narrative conceit. We went through this on like an issue of Ghost Rider or some, some shit like that, where it was like, you are the Ghost Rider. And it's just like, am I the Ghost Rider? Or are you talking about yourself? Am I in the armor and I'm putting the stop to this stuff? It's a little ambiguous. What do you think about the artwork? Um... Uh, uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty much said it all right there without ever necessarily articulating yeah. a single solitary word. The rip on this era of art was just like you hatch for the sake of hatching. Let's just put fucking cross hatching on it. And now I'm Jim Lee. This is overly hatched in like the most bizarre way. <laughs> like some of these hatches, they're just like scribbles. It's really strange. It's not great. I'm not a huge fan of it. But look, the action's pretty good. It's pretty kinetic. I just feel like maybe he's trying to be something he ain't a bit. <laughs> so we're going to take a look at a book that doesn't exist. Originally planned for release in November of 1992. Operation Urban Storm was a planned image partner jam book for charity intended to help the rebuilding effort following the L.A. riots. The solicitation copy goes, the city is in flames. There's a panic in the streets. And even the combined might of the image heroes may not be enough to put an end to the senseless violence and confusion. I believe that there were only three of the partners who produced pages for the project, which was finally published as bonus material in various collections. For instance, the first trade paperback that Image ever put out was Shadowhawk Out of the Shadows, which offered the three-page story called images of injustice and it starts off with more of the dictating who i am so as you are shadowhawk you watch as the anger overflows spilling out into the streets anger running red red the color of fire and basically this is taking place during the la riots the city seeks catharsis three men from orange county set up a grill and a burned down gas station make pancakes you rescue a child from burning building taxi drivers withhold fares from stranded residents movie stars volunteer to man brooms on the streets and thus is born operation clean sweep we all do whatever we can you pray they will heed Rodney King's plaintive plea. Stop making it horrible. Can't we all just get along? You're reminded of another man named King, a man with a dream, the man who wanted to end all violence and replace it with love. And you pray that the love will prevail and that peace will win. And that's that. Basically, Shadowhawk observing the L.A. riots of the early 90s. Seems like a somewhat jaundiced view from Shadowhawk, too. Like he's opposed to the riots themselves. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's, yes, I, I would say that that with what little text there is, that seems to be the, uh, seems to be the key. Let's, let's chill out with the, uh, destroying of our own community. Is it kind of icky that none of the English founders are African American, but you've got one of them lecturing the community about rioting? Yes, definitely icky. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, he, he's saying, uh, hey, let's listen to Rodney King and let's stop making it horrible and let's clean up the streets and let's all get along. But he also wasn't like, let me go break the back of the police officers that drug him out of his car and beat him half to death right like come on dude come when on Shadowhawk. let's listen to rodney king when he said ow ow stop it ow ow there's also a very uh, fox newsian they all like to invoke this weird non-existent version of martin luther king jr mm -hmm. right where it's like oh you know martin luther king was peaceful and he didn't do all this stuff except oh no no remember where he was doing sit-ins and right. and all those marches where he's in the middle of the street that's them shutting mm -hmm. a street down mm -hmm. to walk in the middle or, of it or the, all the times he got arrested plenty of pictures of him with a name tag underneath his face because he got busted by the cop yeah so this is just another white dude saying 
saying, well, Rod, Martin Luther King wouldn't want you guys protesting and tearing stuff down, so you should all stop. Didn't he even draw King yeah. and Malcolm X in the story? No, it's uh, Rodney King and Martin Luther King two side by side. Just, it's just another, two kings. Yeah, yes. two kings. Correct. So now we can talk about Image Number Zero. Per Mike's Amazing World of Comics, Image Number Zero was released on October 11th, 1993, over a year after the coupon comics were supposed to have been all released. The cover features art from all seven Image founders, but that was the only contribution from Willis Portacio, whose wet works still hadn't come out. I'm not sure if Portacio was still an Image partner by this point, but this may have been the final jam featuring all the founders until Image United 16 years later. What do we think of the jam cover? Though? What do we Are think you of the jam? The Wolverine slash. Well, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But I know, I know you're going to come at that for a First, tell me what you guys think about the jam cover, though. Oh, is this where you got the idea from? What do you mean? For your jams. It's not where I got the idea from, but it's definitely an example of that sort of thing going on. Who, yeah. who did the jam? Did each artist do their own, or is it just yeah. one artist? Yeah, no, it's it's all different artists. You've got Todd McFarlane on Spawn, Eric Larson on Savage Dragon, all, all the creators or all their characters. I think it's notable that there's a member of Wetworks in here drawn by Wills Portacio, and I think this is one of, if not the last time, that we got to see all the image founders work on a jam like this. All I know is I see Layfield still can't draw feet. It does sort of disappear into the ground, doesn't it? Yeah, it's just a peg. They all disappear in the ground there. Look at Spawn's foot is gone too. Shadowhawk's calf and uh, half his, his lower uh, half is gone. And Hello, half his leg is gone. Come on, chill out, everybody. Yeah, true that. I do like the image overall. I think it's well colored. I think I, it's nice seeing all the image founders drawing in their image yeah. style all at the same time. It's nice. It's it's just a big explosion, big action moment. Uh, but I, I, it's nice to see all together. Much, it's right. Yeah, it's not bad. It's fine. Now, obviously, Mister Fixit has to talk about the debut of Troll. You mean Wolverine slash Puck? Written, drawn, and penciled I mean, by Robert. Honest, Rob Liefeld has never created a character. He takes other characters and then just mashes them together and births a damnation or something. This is ugh. the story's inked by Art T Bear. What happens in it? We're introduced to that a Wolvie Puck here, and I guess they're trying to clean up. Was it Bloodstrike or what team was it? How he's done like a Danger Room simulation yeah. trying out. Isn't that the helmet from what's his name? That other Marvel character? I don't. Never mind. It's <laughs> just garbage. Okay, man. so here's what. Hey guys. Hey everybody. Hey, this is a legal machine here. This is what happens in the issue. Basically, uh, Puck is trying out for the Young Blood team, and as he's fighting in a danger room simulation, destroying all these robots and stuff, there's like a commentary running overhead of people who are observing him wrecking shop in here, and they're like, oh, well, he came through the program, and they're like, nope, they gave him an exception. He jumped straight through. Like, basically, he's been recognized as being so powerful, even though he's so small. He's not bedrock powerful. He's, like, up there, though. Well, and the main thing is that he has connections with Graves, the guy who runs Young Blood, so he actually got in that away. Yeah, that's it. And at the end, he destroys the whole thing. The dudes are super impressed and that's the issue it's like what three all these are short stories we should say we're reading image zero this is a collection of like small previews from various creators right that range from three to four pages right yeah the, the one of the selling points was you give you send in your coupons and you get original stories a original five page story but it is sort of like hey let's all get together and save up so we can get what's essentially image comics presents you know like one of the bullshit well, like marvel anthologies 
Aren't they like setting up stuff for? They are. They are. And, and since Mac had to save you on Troll, why don't you tell us what happens in Stormwatch then, save which is me. drawn by? Yeah, because all, all you're doing wait, is wait, vamping. Wait, 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 wait. Can I just say? I think for a Rob Liefeld drawn issue, because he takes a lot of shit. I think RT Bear did a really good job on this. I think it actually looks really clean. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. Like that last splat. This last two page splat uh, vertical splash page is really nice of Troll oh, that, standing of, uh, Wolverine, for that. The Wolverine pose. Yes, it's fine. Whatever you want to shit on it. It's a very nice drawing, and I like the silhouette of the two. You greedy businessmen in the bottom corner. All right, chill out. I, th- I don't think it was that bad. Yeah, I thought it was a fun little action story, and you get uh, everything you need about the character and the scenario through the captions. Uh, I think it's good that since you've got a character whose proportions aren't supposed to necessarily be uniform, it works through Liefeld style. And uh, yeah, like you said, it looks pretty good. You know, I mean, again, for okay. what it is, for what it is, you know, we'll we'll own that. But it's still a nice little action beat. Agreed. All right, Mister Fixit, let's do Marvel uh, Image no, no, Comics no, presents. Yeah, keep watch. going. Now, this again, not a big Jim Lee fan. It's some guy that. Uh, crime boss on gonorrhea island and how are you not going to call him omega red how are we letting you went on and on about wolverine little... i didn't see that i didn't yeah. see the omega red thing now that you mentioned it yes it's very much omega he's, red he's, still, he's okay, taking omega it back red existed he gave he gave he gave marvel omega red and he's taking him back and giving him an irish accent and, and impotence it, well what wasn't omega red like russian right right so instead of yeah. russian he's irish now and it's your he's eight omega red, red. Hey, get it? Wait, hey, get it? He's O. Yeah, there's an apostrophe in there, yeah. Apostrophe? Because he's Irish. Get it? He's Irish or Scottish. You guys get it? Okay, so what what happens in this four-page issue, Mr. Fixon? I'll tell you what happens. So this dude wakes up in a bed, and he's what they call buck-ass naked, is what I believe the kids say. And he's getting out of a bed with a very attractive young lady. And she says, that's it, lover? I've been in commercials that have lasted longer. <laughs> and I slapped my hand. I read and I actually like slapped my hand on the table. And he says, leave. He says, leave me be woman. I have things on my mind. And then she says, so you're just going to think long and hard all night. And he says, enough. I'll suffer no more of your insolence. And he bitch slaps her. That's now that's a term that we use in the 90s. Kids don't get upset with me. I just this is a 90s comic book. I'm going to use period correct terminology. That is what they called a bitch slap back in the mid 90s. And he just backhands the hell out of her. And from there, I don't even remember the rest of the issue. But this first page made a hell of an impression on me so hey fix it you were talking about gonorrhea island aka gamora yeah. what's the deal with gamora island yeah uh, apparently it's the image universe of thailand their version of thailand where crime runs rapid and that's where criminals go and hang out and there's a black market and stuff isn't it like blade runner island basically something like that yeah i like that the guys he opens up with a sweaty <laughs> sex scene and his name is seamus o'brien so first i'm thinking semen and then i'm thinking about seamus omega you know so it all kind of goes together good lord so what else happens in the story though wait there was, there was an actual oh then isn't he <laughs> Did you actually read this shit? Like, did you actually read no, the story? It's, this was the worst. Dude, they, they suck because, like I said, they're all set up. He puts on some kind of, what do you call it, some kind of mind sensory something, glove, and he's going to beat the shit out of three. I don't know who these characters are because I don't ever remember seeing them in a book. Okay, but there's also a, a like, newscaster. Save us. Okay, but there's a newscaster. Okay, he, he after he gets done beating up the poor model that he gave the bad sex to, he goes and he watches a bank of television monitors, and there's an Asian broadcaster who basically is telling you all the backstory that you're for now. They were on a classified mission in Kuwait. They got, like, uh, abducted. Who's it? Synergy. Battalion. Flashpoint. Nautica. Spelled N-A-U-T-I-K-A. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> it's like it's like Nautica. Like, she's uh, apparently yeah. she got a, a one-hit wonder from the 80s, apparently. The insets have art that's clearly not Jim Lee art. It's, I think, some stuff that Scott Clark did for the series. We haven't yes, done any dude. reading. Hmm? Dude, I'm so glad you just said that, because I'm like, Jim Lee did not draw this. 
but Scott did, Clark, right? that's exactly okay. who fucking did it. That's who. No, no, no. He's talking about the inset like news casting panels. Thank yeah. you very much, there, Diablo Frank. Well, and not just that, I but below it, you've got that. J. Scott Campbell doing the original members of Stormwatch. You can tell us what is Stormwatch though. Like, what's the basic premise of Stormwatch? A peacekeeping force, a UN type force up in. Weren't they in space for a while? Yeah, I think they, they had a satellite or something. Yeah, with the Weatherman, you huh? got it. Mm-hmm. They had like a satellite that they monitored the world with and stuff. Their version of Professor X, and he would send his mutants around the world to squash any crime or uprising. He had Fuji and all those characters. They were all from all over the world. Like, they weren't mutants. What were they? What were the uh, super was, gene it, or... was it Gene Active? Is that what they were called? Something like that, yeah. Because, like, Liefeld had the they new genes. I know that. They couldn't say mutant. No. Rob Liefeld was new gene, and Jim Lee was Gen Active, I want to say. Because everything, especially after Gen 13 blew up, I think everything was Gen, right? Huh? All this comes from, like, Team 7. There's a, there were several different books, going, yeah. I'm, I'm going deep here, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, that's definitely going deep into it. But, yeah, uh, basically, I think a lot of the Wildstorm universe was based on Vietnam veterans getting exposed to chemicals that cause mutations in their children and in themselves. But we're going to get that more into that with some other spread, titles. Yeah. yeah. There was the original members of Stormwatch, this team. You had Battalion. You know, I guess Synergy was in there, but you had Flashpoint. You had Nautica. And you had the other guy, too, because there's three of them. Sunburst. Battalion had to leave those people behind, assuming that they were dead. But apparently Seamus got a hold of them instead and has been keeping them captive and torturing them for a while. I don't know if they tell us exactly how long, but they do set up that it was during Desert Storm. And this comic came out in like 93, 94. So they'd been captive and tortured by the student for several years. Wow. Hey, can I just make a comment? Is this gentleman, so he has red hair because his name is Seamus or whatever, right? Is his pale complexion, is he like, is it because he's some sort of powerful alien? He's got a weird skin color? Or is it just their rendition of like an Irish white guy? Because... (laughs) If so, I'm a little offended as an Irish white guy. <laughs> or Scott. We're not this white, right? You're not or completely bleached of color entirely. Well, the fact that there is a caucasoid right in front of the dude at one point where it looks like he's about to molest the guy, I'm pretty sure that this is an absolute pale omega red gen active, apparently. Okay. I just want to make sure before I uh, submit my complaint on Twitter with a customized hashtag. So I think it's pretty clear that Mr. Fixit did not enjoy the story. What about you, Mac? Nope. <laughs> dude, the first page alone. I mean, it's hilarious, dude. I mean, it's fucking phenomenal. Uh, I mean, they, they had no reason to put a panel in here where this dude couldn't, you know, he's Minuteman or not a Minuteman. Like, this shit's hilarious. But he tapped out uh, on his uh, his old lady here. This is great. I laughed heartily at this. Was not expecting it. Laughed heartily. So that is a reaction, and I appreciate that. So good for you, three-page uh, Stormwatch issue. Which... But I will say, this is some of the worst Jim Lee art I've ever seen. And the fact that Scott Williams inked it is really upsetting because this is not good. This does not look good. It's pretty like, stiff. There was definitely more... Yeah. It's like really stiff. And it almost looks blurry. Like some of these panels are blurry. Like I don't, I don't get it. Because like I said, I think the the Liefeld Art T Bear four page mini is like surprisingly well done. And I would say it's kind of the opposite here for this one, where it looks like fucking Jim and uh, Scott barely did anything on this. Like it looks terrible for their standards, at least in my opinion. Anyway, moving on. Scott Williams has kind of his own style. A lot of what we think is Jim Lee is actually Scott Williams because Jim Lee drew very differently before they paired those two together. And I'm wondering if maybe Jim just like kind of half you know just gave him like the basics and that a lot of this might be scott williams but we're saying it doesn't look great so i think that'd be kind of a slam on williams of not meaning it that way but i'm just wondering how much of this jim lee even gave him in the first place and maybe it was just and let's face it it, it, obviously this was like a side thing they were trying to knock out i I don't think we got 
necessarily their best efforts. And I'm not sure how much we got of Jim Lee or Scott Williams. You know, they might have had some helpers on this too. I don't know. But you're right. It, it's not really up to their standard. Yeah, that's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying it's it's not necessarily bad. It's just really for those two. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, for those two, it's definitely not their finest work. And whereas usually when you see Jim Lee and Scott Williams, you're like, holy shit, let's fucking strap in. Unless you're Mr. Fixit, of course, who's like, where's my Mark Silvestri? Oh, absolutely. This, uh, yeah, I, this, yes. Whereas th- this is just not. This looks like really good Wildstorm Studios drone clone stuff, not actually Jim Lee, Scott Williams. And the story was by Brandon Choi. We should probably throw that out there, too, just as, you know, as a, a did Oh, that explains everything. Yeah. Uh, now, we'll say that John Wilson over at All the Pouches has covered this issue already, and he pointed out that as somebody who was already reading the Stormwatch stuff, since he, he does his show chronologically, that there wasn't a lot for him in this story coming at it as a person who's already familiar with everything that was going on here, and then us coming at it as people that are being introduced to these concepts to some degree. I know, Fix It, and you, you well, both of us obviously read some Stormwatch in the past, but not a lot of early war Stormwatch in my case, and none in Mac's case, and it doesn't necessarily tantalize us. We don't really care to see what happens for the rest of the story. It doesn't really no. engross us or anything. No, not, no, not, yeah, not yeah, the slightest. Yeah. Whereas I think that there's an exception for that later on in this book, but this one I was not like, oh, I kind of wonder who is this Seamus O'Malley guy and what, you know, what's wrong with his dick and all sorts <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, is well, it as white as he is? Yeah, or is it as red as he is? If, in which case, what? no, no, no. Did, I mean, do, do the do the do the drapes match the curtain? No, no, no. What or was the he? Carpet. What, my bad. What, could he not perform because he was mad, or did he get mad because he couldn't perform? Which one is it? I don't know. Not the stories that are to keep us up not, at night. Certainly, he could not keep it up at night either. Thanks very much. <laughs> hey, oh, all right, everybody. Well, let's just wrap it up there because uh, that was about as good as a joke we're gonna get. Yeah. Just kidding, guys. Today we're going to talk about issue 25 of Spawn. Funny thing is, I've never read this issue until you made me read it. Well, how'd you miss it? Or I what? have no idea. I didn't know who fucking Trimmer was. I remember seeing the toy and thinking, oh, this is just like the other shit he makes. Just like some random character so he can sell a toy. I didn't know it was actually in the book. <laughs> so, when we, so when we were reading this, I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen this fucking toy. He has his own comic? He has an actual fucking origin story? I was blown away. Yeah, and I think he's going to appear in later issues of this book too. Is he? I think so, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I, I think 25 was kind of where I started slowly winging myself off the spawn teat <laughs> at the time where like spawns were starting to accumulate issue after issue. It wasn't like I have to read. It was more like I have to take a two hour dump. So I guess I'll grab some spawn issues. Maybe it'll help me get through it. That was about it. I think at this time I was really into reading Heavy Metal magazine and X-Men. Peter David's Hulk, I'm sure was out at the time. Probably about halfway through the run by that point, I would figure. Was it? Yeah, I think that's when you kind of got me hooked on Peter David's run because I remember you introducing it to me and I went back and found like back issues. Okay. So, so then that um, wouldn't be the case yet because you and I hadn't met at this point yet. We hadn't? Not Spawn 25, no. Hmm. You sure? Spawn number 
25 was released on October the 24th, 1994. So about two years before we met. Yeah, 96. That's when I met you, right? Tangent. Anyway, so issue 25, we're introducing uh, to Tremor. Yeah, so let me go huh? ahead and give the breakdown on this. Tremors is by Todd McFarlane on writing. The first issue that wasn't by either McFarlane or Capullo, it's drawn by Mark Silvestri, inked by Bat with the help of Billy Tan. The regular letterer, Tom Warzakowski, which is really noticeable because the lettering looks a lot different for me than you would expect from a Silvestri piece, but it's colored by Brian Haberlin, and so the colors still definitely resemble Cyberforce look. And the issue is dedicated to the spirit of independence. Don't tread on me. Oh yeah, like the cover's great. I think Mark Silvestri fits better with Spawn than Todd McFarlane would fit with Cyberforce. Because I feel like Mark Silvestri, he can do that super dark, rough, dirty, you know, and I think that kind of stuff fits with Spawn. Did he ever get in trouble for using CNN and E, their logos? I would think not because of this edition that we're looking at was after he went in there and he turned all the Tony twists into Vito Gravano's. So if, if he okay. were going to do that, then I imagine he'd have taken care of the uses of those proprietary brands. So hopefully CNN okay. doesn't come and sue him now all these years later. The issue starts with basically them talking about this vigilante. It's all uh, a bunch of recap of stuff we already know. But what I will yeah, say is I, I like seeing them drawn by Mark Silvestri because he still caricatures and he still is in line with what you'd expect them to look like as drawn like McFarlane but he gives all the nice little cross-hatching and stuff and it looks pretty cool yeah I mean the artwork looks great Spawn's people are down there basically drinking hanging out talking about the great old days and a guy has to go take a leak and we're introduced to this guy he's a Vietnam vet he goes and he attacks one of Spawn's followers and tells them that it's a turf war and they're trying to get Spawn's attention and the dude is gigantic he looks like Lou Ferrigno you know in terms of his size I, so he's a homeless. I thought of, I thought of uh, nu- uh, was it Nukem Duke Nukem when I saw him? Sure, yeah. It would be easy to confuse this guy with the Admonisher. Yeah, he's, he's about the same dimensions. Okay. The dude's like a big ass bodybuilder, and he's a nom vet, and he's sort of a gangbanger, but he's also homeless. And these things don't add up. That doesn't make. I've never seen a fucking bodybuilder homeless guy. That doesn't make fucking sense. Protein powder costs money. I don't see a lot of fucking cut homeless people. I don't know, man. When you're pushing that grocery basket all over town and it's weighed down pretty good, that's a good workout. Good on the thighs. Good on the calf. So after the message has been passed on, we see Terry dealing with, and I guess that would freak me out too if you went back to work and everybody's acting like nothing happened. And it just shows you the power of those who attacked him have over everyone around him in his sphere. Even though some agents were murdered and they're finding dead bodies, no one's reacted to he, it. He got a fucking I, I think dead They don't rat. even make eye contact with him anymore. He got a fucking dead rat with a knife in it sent to his fucking office. We're in the midst of the fed up rising Black Lives Matter protests. I can't help but flash between the two because, again, this dude was fucking brutalized. His entire life was turned upside down. His family was threatened. His life was threatened. His career's threatened. Now, since Spawn fixed everything, he's supposed to just walk it off. What's the problem, Terry? You know, you got your job back. What's the matter? This dude's fucking traumatized and shit, man. It fucked him up. I feel for this guy. Yeah. Well, the weird thing, so he's sitting there kind of having a pity party for himself and Wanda appears. I thought this was weird where they started to talk and she now wants to take an interest in what's going on with him and he's kind of like well i thought you didn't want to know and she's like well you know after al now that the events that just happened i need to know what's going on like what's coming at us she wants to know all his secrets they need to talk about all his secrets he tells her how much he loves her and she gives him the han solo i know you do i thought that was funny she's got to be a little bit fucked up too because again she thought her fellow was either going to get dead or get put in prison or something and now it's like no everything's fine it's like no not everything's fine i need to know how the fuck you ended up in this position we need to make sure this doesn't happen again so she's traumatized too true but i just love the way he's like i love you wanda i know you do i was like damn you got soloed son <laughs> at this point we see the big muscular 
a homeless guy smashing a window, which apparently McFarlane was really playing with the writing because he's very descriptive about how he's kicking this dry, rotting board shatter after a quick, forceful kick. Okay, can't we just draw a kick and put kicky word? But anyway, he goes in. I really thought that Trimmer was a demon. He looks he goes like a fucking reports. violator, man. I so, don't know if part of it might be the how Sylvester's drawing him. First, I thought, wait, wait, it's one of the violator's brothers who got left behind. And I'm like, no, 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 better yet. I bet he's hallucinating. Maybe this is the guy that chased after the violator brothers and he fell back to Earth. I'm playing all these scenarios in my mind and it was nothing that cool. <laughs> it's just some giant monster that looks like a goat creature. But he's eating, got the, uh, the super violator underbite. He's got fucking oh, yeah, horns. I, I think like, at the time, Todd could only draw violator-type creatures. It either looks like Spawn or Anti-Spawn, where it's just a variation of the Spawn suit or a variation of these violators, and that's it. Overt Kill is just a giant robot, but again, he didn't totally create that one. The clown is just Danny dude, DeVito and, and Rob Liefeld created Rob Liefeld created Overt Kill. It's just as simple as that. Todd McFarlane added the fucking chains. I'm sorry. There's no fucking that's two right. ways around that shit. But I think McFarlane's contribution is like, throw some spikes on that. Give him a patch, an eye patch. Oh, yeah, he's real robotic now. So we get introduced to Trimmer, but it doesn't make sense because he wants to start a war with this Italian mob boss, but he wants to fuck with Spawn. Well, I think he's and fucking with was... Spawn to rouse him to get into a room with him but, to pump him yeah, for, but this for is invasion. Like, what a twist. Yeah. He's kind of like, not I'm not overt kill, not Spawn, not God. So I'm like, okay, he's a demon. And so, you know, he's going along. Nothing's going to say Vito. Okay, so he's pissed off. And then Spawn is sitting there just fucking brooding and brooding as brood can get. The dude sits like, in on a trash throne like nobody Business. It's yeah. a brood. And he, he's just whining and bitching about his life and Wanda. And... He is a little goth boy. I'm sorry. Yeah. He's definitely emo. Now, real quick, I just noticed this. Does it look like those two rats are having sex on top of that board? There's a lot of rats in Spawn Alley and the like, so it, it's to be expected. I'm just saying, right where it says, see recent issues, it looks like Mickey and Minnie having sex watching Spawn. Anyway, he's, you know, what am I going to do? There's all this shit going on. Of course, the homeless guy that Duke Nukem attacked comes and he's trying to get Spawn's attention. And Spawn's kind of a dick. I don't want to hear it. Y'all got to solve your own fucking problems. I'm thinking, dude, you're the one fucking throwing like magic flame balls on the wall saying Spawn's Alley. You're inviting danger to these people's lives. And then you're like, all right, guys, now y'all got to figure it out. Pull yourself up I'm by not, your bootstraps. You, you, you usually only have to deal with snobby, rich kids and cops. Now I'm going to bring in demons and robots and all kinds of weird shit in this alley. But you guys figure it out because I can't deal with this. Yeah, it's kind of a bitch move, Spawn. Like, and he, and you're bringing this shit. He'll roll up to the huh? fire and drink their booze and shit. And then when they actually ask him for something, finally, he's like, fix your own problem. God damn it. This is why I have so much sympathy for Terry and why I, I'm constantly fucking calling out for Spawn being the bitch that he is because he fucking oh, yeah, is. Yeah. He's such a whiny bitch. And he's he's so, so much drama with his motherfucker too. You know, he's always going to climb on a fucking cross and let his cape flap in the breeze. Like fucking such a queen, man. Well, dude, he, he's an emo. He's fucking emo next level. He's just like, woe is me. Oh, Wanda. I made a deal. I'm used to McFarlane's and Capullo's broader character. Caricatures. Feels like there's too little nose on Silvestri's. No nostrils. There's no opening or anything. Is it just me or is he just not drawing a nose in a way that is different from the way the other guys not draw a nose? I mean, I, I know a nose isn't a big thing with the spawn corpse and stuff, but he looks like no, an actually alien. He doesn't to me. have a nose. If you if you zoom in, you can see there is no nose. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. weirds so me no out. I, he needs to put something there because he looks like a fucking gray alien or something. He doesn't look like Spawn when he does those facial close up. Yeah. So next we see Sam and Twitch 
and Sam is eating a sandwich like he's always doing, and he's in a very good mood. Twitch asks him why, and he talks about how he has this folder that Spawn had given him in the last issue about all the dirt they have on the police chief. It warms a spot in his heart, and he's excited. And of course, there's Spawn on the ledge, and he comes to realize that he's maybe losing his humanity, and he has to seize every moment of his humanity when he can. So I guess doing something nice for these guys will redeem his humanity somewhat. Yeah, so I you guess know, how many times we've done this already with Spawn? How many times have you done the shit where he like? Oh, dude, it, this is like every third issue. I, I'm really like, starting to question Todd's commitment to an accurate representation of the indigent population at this point. What do you mean? He uses the homeless people as props constantly. They're belching, farting, drinking, slobs most of the time, or they're casualties. Cannon to, fodder. You know, cannon fodder. Cannon fodder. Uh, there, yeah. There's just not a lot of like. I, I don't feel a lot of sympathy coming from these comic books and their usage of the homeless population. Oh no no no! They're, they're definitely harsh. So then he goes, he talks to his people, and they tell him this guy wants to meet you. Spawn shows up and immediately. Okay, what a cardboard cutout! <laughs> fucking cardboard! Are you telling me he, he, he managed he to find Looney Tune Tremor? Wait a minute! Did he fucking Looney Tune Tremor? Did Total he Wally Coyote a fucking cardboard on the wall and Tremor attacked it? No, I think he broke into a comic shop or maybe one that had gone out of business by then. It was ninety four by then, so maybe they had like a fire sale and he got one of the spawn standing from them. I just remember seeing that and when he grabbed it, I was thinking, "Wow, spawn's not moving," and he's like, "It's cardboard." I'm like, "He fucking Looney Tuned him." <laughs> Like, are you shitting me? Todd actually wrote this down and thought it was a good idea. Like, he wrote down, there is a cardboard cutout of Spawn and Tremor attacks it. And everyone was like, dude, cool. That's going to look so great in a comic book. Oh, but And he's not done roadrunnering this shit either. Dude, the whole time, I'm playing the Looney Tunes theme in my head the whole time now. Like, dun, 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 dun. He screams, I'm sorry, not cardboard, plywood. But not just plywood, but plywood would paint on it. Like Spawn. He literally drew his face and his, like, they drew, even the little skulls on the corner of his cape are drawn on a piece of plywood which he crushes tells him to show himself coward bond pops up and immediately chains go into chain action they're beating the shit out of him with a two by four the chains are grabbing him by the throat and now spawn's doing this weird ninja shit where he's jumping around and flipping around people which he never really did before i, I think Sylvester maybe had a hand in that it definitely didn't feel like my chains attack you while i watch more spidey less venom he thinks he chokes him out he's walking away he attacks him hits the ground they fall through the ground and apparently tremor has a robotic arm like a well, masturbation arm some shit. Okay, but but Just you forgot. Firing uh, Chad, Spawn made a point of sitting out his gigantic cape to cover some weak wood, and then Tremor rushes at him, and then Spawn leaps away and he falls through the floor. Gee, um, another fucking Looney Tune. Exactly. Are you exactly. Kidding me? Still and Looney then Tunes. and then as you said, he's got that Master of the Universe robot punch arm that lets him climb back up again, and it's like I'm telling wait, you, it's a pocket pussy foot thing. Pop, 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 pop. <laughs> but he's like, okay, is he a demon or is he a bull or what? And now he's got the fucking stretchy stretch Armstrong bullshit uh, going on. What the fuck is going on? this trimmer dude i told you first time i read this issue i'm like what the fuck does frank have me reading right now because i'm confused after they've kicked the shit out of each other and spawn has not even spawn now let's just call him it's bug bugs bunny has fucking looney tuned the fuck out of him a couple of times he tells him listen good i'm gonna nail that pig veto and you're gonna help why did you start out the conversation with that you're right like did we need the looney tune action to just find out hey can you help me take out somebody and th- okay it, it's gonna get stupider in a minute spawns like it sounds like a personal vendetta i don't really care what you want with him and then this is where we go into the fucking origin story of Tremor, where he turns out that he was a henchman, and I guess Vito wanted to create another super monster, kind of like he had overt kill, but have more control over. So apparently, all you have to do is inject them with something, and they grow horns and robotic arms. Well, I think they put the robotics in, but the fact that you injected him and he looked like a violator, maybe they have like violator DNA and shit, and that's I why he looks like a violator. The, I 
I thought that for a second, but they're not going to be smart enough to write that in here. Mm-hmm. They're not going to say like, well, Vito Nim had Violator's old arm in a jar and they're ciphering out tissue samples from it. No, no, that's for us to think about and think it's cool. Well, this and- one is just like, well, no, some scientists kind of put some stuff in me. I never had, if you look, he doesn't have a robotic arm. They have him tied down, but after all this transformation, he now has a robotic arm. I believe Todd had did the same scene in one of his Hulk comics where the moon's in the background massively and you have this big hulking creature walking across the moon. You've got an issue drawn by Mark Silvestri that features a cyborg. Why isn't Cyberdad involved with the creation of Trimmer then? I'm telling you, cool concept, DNA from a violator and whatever they couldn't fix, they put robot parts on. Yeah. Sounds cool to me. That sounds like an intro. They just show him growing and turning into Trimmer. And then instead of being like, well, this is fucked, but I guess I'll go ahead and continue to work for my boss since he's threatening my family. Instead, he just breaks loose like a fucking werewolf and shit. And so for no good reason, Tony Twist kills his family. It's like, what was the, that, wasn't that the thing you were going to use to control the cyborg demonic creature, dude? Why would you kill his family and super piss him off? Yes. It makes no fucking sense. The motivation. No, oh my right. God. It's a terrible origin. And so he's like, Spawn's like, oh, you know, I feel for this guy because he's being tortured. So I'm going to help him take him down. How? I'm going to give him a folder full of paper, paperwork. <laughs> We're it's taking the, him down with paperwork. It's we're the taking same. him down like they took. We're taking him down like they took Capone. It's taxes. <laughs> it's his taxes that bonds ultimate power. Bring down I your, have uh, a dossier. It's, it's the a, steel dossier. Yeah, and it's the it's same fucking over, ending yeah. of the last issue. That's how they ended everything last issue. Is he just so kept he, pulling fucking dossiers? You realize that these dossiers are, were mentioned twice in this book. Besides the police chief, now apparently he's taking down a mob boss with paperwork. And Trimmer's like gives him a big thumbs up and hops away happily. Who are you gonna fucking take this paperwork to? That makes no sense. You can't walk up and just hand this paperwork to somebody and they're like, look at this stuff on Vito. But of course they say, scapegoat, we're like, well, it shows all his weaknesses and his comings and goings. I'm like, you think after Vito's tax guy died, he'd maybe change up his operation. Again, you know, if we, I had a guy that knew all my ins and outs and he disappeared, I'd probably change some shit up. It's the same conversation. Not so conversation, much delivery on a Wednesday, it's a delivery on Tuesday. It's the same conversation we had with a previous issue, and wasn't that the leverage that Spawn were using against Don Vito to get him off of Spawn's back and Terry's back, and he just hands the shit over to Trimmer? Yep. What the fuck? Terrible. Terrible fucking writing. But how about that art? I mean, the art was solid. There was some Liefeldian torso going on there a few times, though, right? For some reason, Spawn seemed a lot more thicker, more muscular. Well, he had that Captain America giganto protruding chest thing going on a few times. I think it's some sort of Liefeldian disorder. But I did like all the cross-hatching. It was cool to see the Spawn all shiny and extra imagey. Yeah. He really went in there and did a lot of eye work, too. You know, it's like he's got the great big green eyes, but all the fucking lines around those eyes, so you're really committed to. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, that works good. The story was just home. I do like that scene of Trimmer screaming, you know, show yourself coward. I think that looks really great. That's a great looking violator. <laughs> Beefy. Yeah. All right, next, Image Comics presents Todd McFarlane, and he does a series of pinups. So he does Freak, Blotch, Sweat, and Blood. That's B-L-U-D-D, Blood. Why does it feel like he did all these in 10 minutes? 100% these are fucking con sketches, dude. <laughs> That's how they were. Oh, my God. I, I like, definitely... Like fucking worst McFarlane artwork I've seen. It's even Blood, Sweat. How did we not end up with tears at some point? Yeah. I mean, Blotch is either a frog or a roach with robotic appendages. 
appendages. Dude, I wouldn't call those appendages. Those are so poorly drawn onto his body. It was like somebody submitted this shit for color and somebody was like, God damn it, Todd, I gotta add some like fucking like a door handle. He's got like a two door handles drawn. Like, what the fuck is this, dude? No, no, dude. Todd just like not even sketched it. It was just like a uh, nothing, dude. The inker absolutely probably created all this artwork. Yeah, it's worth noting that all no, no, these no. have inkers and they're all name Play brand inkers of the time. Dan Panosian, Art T-Bear, Dan Panosian and Art T-Bear, you know. This looks like an editor drew that in. This is not, anyway, mm. whatever. No. It, it looks like, you know how Spider-Man's webbing is supposed to disintegrate over time? It's supposed to be time sensitive. It looks like Todd McFarlane's webbing as it's decaying and about to turn into a puddle of ooze or is, is what that blotch pinches look like. I don't even know if that's a, pro- I, when Mr. Fixer said it looks like a frog, he kind of looks like a weird, like his head looks like a frog, but the rest of it is, it's just not describable. It looks, he, he looks like he's a plant that's wilting and dying. I guess not. I don't even know if that is like a plant, like a frog, but with like rhinoceros arms or something. I don't know. And We're then spending too much time on, yes, spending right. too much time too much. on blotch. It, it looks like, you know how, like something I, I would have seen someone draw on their book in high school. It yeah. looks like Evil Ernie or whatever. What was that one guy's name? Yeah, yeah. Evil Ernie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did I fucking remember Evil Ernie? Look at me. <laughs> All the Shit, things, right? That was a good pull. That was a good pull. <laughs> Look at me. You must be so proud. So uh, describe Freak for folks who are not looking at it themselves. Yeah, he looks uh, like Evil Ernie. I think I just said that. Okay. Right. Okay. Well, he's got like rotting, mottled green skin. He's bare chested, super scrawny. Kind of think Izzy, Iggy Pop as drawn by Todd McFarlane, but with a bloody butcher knife. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. And I want to say that Freak was supposed to be in a comic that was going to be written by Alan Moore, and then he didn't. And then McFarlane used it anyway. Um, so I don't know if, you know, if that was a situation where McFarlane was handing him a character to write, or if this is some misbegotten uh, Alan Moore creation that he, you know, gave up on or something. I'm, I'll be curious when we get to the issue or two, because he appears in a few, I think. I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens when we finally catch up with that dude. But what about Sweat? Of course, Sweat is just like a broke-ass forge or something like that. I, I have no idea, dude. That's I, I For a minute, I was like, is he drawing Aquaman from the 90s with the, like, the long flowing hair? I don't, I don't know what it is. I want to say of Sweat that Todd McFarlane used to draw Infinity Inc. And he looks like a guy who would have fought Infinity Inc. He looks like he should be a member of Helix or something. And again, this is a drawing done in 93. And it totally looks like a character created for 86. You got the James Hetfield handlebar mustache. He's got the eye patchy thing. Cybernetic Jazzercise outfit. The long flowing hair metal hair. Terrible. And then we go to Blood. This Is this like a... I feel like this guy looks like somebody from Spawn. I, I know there's a toy of him. Right. Maybe Is that what I'm thinking of? I'm thinking there's toys of them. Them. Okay, that, no, that's what it is. I recognize him from the toy series. Well, and also he debuts in Spawn number twenty-five under the name Trimmer. Yes, Trimmer. Oh, that's right. that's, who, that's, that's what why it's a different name. Yeah, and just the laziest shit to fill space too, right? Oh yeah. I wanted to give you a break since you just did the recap on Spawn. So I'll do a recap of a book you're familiar with. Rob Liefeld drawing Shadowhawk. Oh, Match Made in Heaven. What issue was that? Shadowhawk Zero. Number Zero. Can't wait to see that cover. The one where he's crouched on the wall? Mm-hmm. You remember that one? You read that one by mistake. Okay, yeah. Oh, my God. I remember that cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember this one. Yeah. So this is Shadowhawk Number Zero by Rob Liefeld with Carl Allstatter, who did the layouts, and Robert Napton, who did the script. What do you think of that cover? Oh, the cover looks great. You like very- um, what was that style that Jim Lee stole for uh, Deathblow? Uh, the Sin City style. Frank Miller's Chiaroscuro with the heavy contrast. Did he black steal it from somebody else? Frank Miller. Like a Japanese artist? No, Frank Miller. I could have swore he got caught out on that. But I well, I mean, wrong. that style is not 
a new thing. Yeah, Japanese artists have used it, but I think it's centuries old. Steranko did it back in the 70s. People have been doing that for a long time. It's just that oh. Frank Miller popularized it because he had a highly stylized version of that high contrast look. Okay. So, yeah, no, I mean, it looks great. I, I liked it. It's like uh, if Rob Liefeld and Frank Miller had a baby. I, I think it looks like yeah. if uh, Frank Miller and Rob Liefeld had an abortion. Oh, oh my gosh. This is incredible. He couldn't figure out how that helmet works either, though. What? What is up with all the lines on his face? I love this. <laughs> This is my this is my favorite so far. <laughs> Good lord! Put this in a museum. Did, am I wrong though that it has this weird like uninked but colored Frank Miller oh, Dark Knight uh, Returns quality to it? One hundred percent. So strange. One hundred percent trying to do Sin City, and I think he was did it all in a brush. The looks of it. I don't think he actually penciled this stuff. I think it was all done with brush. That immediacy I think he was looking for. So I guess maybe it was more of a cross between Sin City and Ronin in that respect. It's so weird that I like it. <laughs> it's visually very interesting to look at. Again, if it's you're, terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> let me let me just. Interesting doesn't mean good, high quality, well constructed. But oh, visually, yeah. if you're looking at a Liefeld book, that doesn't look like any other Liefeld book. Yeah. He might have used that on Blood Wolf. I'd have to double check on that one. So we're gonna flash forward from where we are on Spawn Arbor. Unfortunately, I've struggled with this. We had a half a year gap in putting out episodes of me trying to figure out how to move all the stuff we'd already recorded and all the stuff I tend to record and put stuff in place that makes it go along properly with Spawn. And our current situation is the best I can do. But Unfortunately, we're going to have to jump ahead and I'm going to do some omissions just to preserve some surprises. Shadowhawk is being assisted by Phoebe from Trencher. And we've not covered Trencher, so just go with it. Phoebe is like a talking head that helps to direct Trencher and is now helping out Shadowhawk. So Shadowhawk is captured by a new incarnation of Bloodstrike. This time, Bloodstrike is a single individual who's like a Deathstroke-style mercenary-type character. Shadowhawk is forced to take on a secret mission by Mars Gunther, who runs a Black Ops company. They travel to Castle Brunick near the Austrian-Swiss border. Bloodstrike and a female operative called Mist join Shadowhawk in killing legions of Hydra soldiers and a giant robot. Shadowhawk, one of the big things about his book is he doesn't actually kill people. He breaks the back. But now all of a sudden he's shoving shurikens in people's heads. So I don't know, maybe these are zombie Hydra agents or some shit. They end up blowing up the Orpheus Foundation castle and destroy presumably the only sample of a new, more communicable Chernobyl of HIV or the Super AIDS. Mars Gunther then dumps Shadowhawk where they found him in the city and baits him to continue pursuing Dr. Orpheus to help him with a mission that he's on. So that's the gist of the story. You read that a while ago. Do you remember enough about it to have an Opinion? I remember when I read it, I'm like, why the fuck am I reading this? Because it makes no sense. Because you were like, read this, read Shadowhawk. And I read the other Shadowhawk stuff, and I'm like, this has no link to it. Well, it's actually uh, the I mean, zero I issue like was, of... I remember thinking, it's really weird because he's killing people instead of just snapping their back. And I remember, I think I told you that, too. I was like, I thought Shadowhawk didn't kill people. And that was what, you were like, you weren't supposed to read that issue. Right. Well, because the thing is, Shadowhawk was still putting out series of miniseries, the Venom model or the Lobo model at the time. And so that was sort of like the zero of Shadowhawk 3, but you can at least yeah. speak to it. Story was trash, right? Oh, absolutely. And what about the art overall? Because again, life was different. It was a different style of art. I got to give him that. I did appreciate that it was a different style. It seemed like it was water paint. Like it had this weird kind of. It had that Japanese brush. Like they were using, like uh, dipping a, a, a brush into India ink and slashing with it that away. It looked different. I thought the artwork was fine. I quite, quite enjoyed it. I, I never realized how shitty Shadowhawk's costume was until this issue. More. I mean, it's <laughs> just basically. Wolverine and 
in a purple and silvery kind of color with no mouth guard or with a mouthpiece. I mean, that's it. And then from there, we go to Shadowhawk Prey. This is written in pencil by Jim Valentino, inks by Christopher Ivy. And the story was pretty solid. You're doing your typical Shadowhawk is perched up on the corner of a building. He's using monologue where he's saying where he, monologue where he's saying that you are Shadowhawk and you're you're confused at what the hell that's supposed to mean. Am I Shadowhawk? Are you Shadowhawk? Are you just talking in the eighth person? What is going on here? He's observing a woman, like a homeless woman, huddling with her child in an alleyway. Some dudes walk up to get their no goodings on. He comes at her with a knife. And she like kind of like dodges, but hits her in the throat and slices her throat and then Shadowhawk jumps in and he's just like you arrive too late your justice is swift and he kicks the dude's back and breaks his back and he says he will never prey on an innocent again in your heart you know that you did the best you could in her eyes the daughter you see that it wasn't enough sometimes nothing is you are Shadowhawk and you know that for some the night is already lost the end and this poor girl is holding her mother who had her throat slit open and that's that and that's why can I just say although I've read very little Shadowhawk what I've read of it I kind Kind of like I don't know if I would want to read this book or not because it's so brutal. Like, it's always, like, super brutal. Like, I, I get he wants him to be the sort of real-life Batman where he's, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Where, like, shit's going wrong in the streets. And he's, like, sometimes he can fix it, sometimes he can't. But usually the outcome is people remain in said streets. But he's like Batman meets the Punisher where he's actually punishing the criminals. There is no judge. There is no jury. There is just me. Yeah, but, like, I feel like I would get super depressed reading this comic book, dude. It's, I don't know. Do you have any exposure to uh, Shadowhawk? No, I mean, uh, Mr. Frank there had me read a couple issues. Couple like shorts oh, okay. and it was more of the same shit dude where he's telling me I'm Shadowhawk like I'm not responsible for fucking up and getting that lady's throat cut don't put that on me motherfucker you know what I'm saying yeah don't put that on me that's on you bro but I, I kind of see what he was trying to do where it's like yeah I don't have the perfect guy, the guy who works in the slums like Batman but is always basically perfect and saves everybody yeah. like no like look sometimes this guy's like look I can't save everybody I was a little late I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take the think- criminal I can take the criminal out but in the meantime you know some shit got fucked up sorry I think he even says you know I was just a little late Yeah. my bad One of the things that was interesting about the Image X month is they let retailers know that the various image creators would be drawing each other's books, but they didn't tell anybody which books so that the creator wouldn't affect the sales of the book. Nobody was going to order something than others. Yeah. yeah, I got you. you know, they try to do somewhat atypical pairings to Todd McFarlane draws this issue. They are his interior pages. Like, who inked him? Was, did he do the whole fucking thing? Or did... He's helped by Mark Capullo, Mark Pennington, and John Cleary, and he brought his coloring team of Steve Olaf and Ola Optics, so it looks fairly Spawnish. It was kind of a hodgepodge. You could tell that a whole bunch of different hands were working on that. I think that's one of the things that's telling is that the last Todd McFarlane comic had a ton of inkers. The last Jim Lee comic had a ton of inkers. So you can tell they were probably rushing this out. One thing promised they did keep was that all the comics did come out on the same month, but they definitely looked inconsistent because of all different inkers. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's got to be what it is. These inkers just... I Okay, that's a Todd McFarlane page. I can kind of tell that. It's weird. It's weird, and I think it's because it's inked weird. And it's written by Eric Larson, brother of Mark, who does a lot of the plotting. Now, I would have to say that McFarlane's original Wait, sorry. Eric, Eric Larson or Eric Silvestri? Eric Silvestri sorry Eric Silvestri Eric Silvestri okay. is the brother of Mark who co-plots and scripts the book with his brother that and so and as a part of that is Silvestri does a really badass spawn cover and then McFarlane swipes the cover so it's cute you want to talk to us about Cyberforce number eight 
please, we're going to do the short version. I haven't been reading Cyberforce at this time, but apparently there's uh, some kind of mob character or someone who... Well, they have a mutant is... mafia. So they're, they're, apparently okay. uh, one of the mutant terrorist organizations, or I, I think they specifically say the mutant mafia, are trying to kill this informant uh, that's working with the government. And so there's Stryker, which I, I thought for a minute that was... Uh, what's his name from Wildcats? Wait, no, the one that's... You've got Heatwave, who looks oh, Heat like Wave. I'm sorry, I thought Heatwave looked like... What's his name from Yeah, Wildcats. he looks like Spartan from the Wildcats. Yeah, definitely. Spartan, yes. So, I thought that was Spartan for a second. I'm like, what is Spartan doing here? They basically got then, the foreman in a safe house, and Heatwave is watching him right now because Stryker was supposed to have gone out to get a beer. And Stryker hits him with three arms, which I just thought Stryker always had a very distinctive look. He has one arm on one side and three on the other. Mm-hmm. So they call him Stryker because he can hit you with that one side with three arms? Or I guess. I assume, yeah. or... It's a cool name. So anyway, he, he hits him, knocks him out, kills the informant. Well, he shoots the informant. He shoots the informant multiple times. They don't actually kill the yes. informant. Spoiler. Well, shoot, I'm sorry. He shoots him multiple times. Yeah. He's a mutant himself and he has three hearts and they blow out one of the hearts, but he does survive. Spoilers. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah. Okay. So Heatwave hits Stryker with a shot. Stryker is pissed off like, hey, what's happening? All of a sudden, Heatwave looks out and he sees this very girlish looking leg with a J-Lo ass hanging out the window. He runs up. The mob guy is out. He looks down and all of a sudden there's this big beefy guy running out the window. He calls out the Cyberblade. Uh, no, that Ripclaw. 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 The one they call out to. Oh, is right? it Ripclaw? I'm sorry. Yeah, right. He calls Ripclaw because he needs Cyberblade to come check on Striker. So Ripclaw's starting to track him. The assailant gets in a vehicle. Ripclaw gets on top of the vehicle, landing on a moving vehicle, and he has the. I guess he's already a shaman with the powers of an animal, and then the cybernetics enhance that or some shit like that. I, I, that's what I got. They call in Cyberblade because I guess Striker's hurt. Or no, no. Did they? <laughs> okay. I fucking I, don't know. The next thing I know, they're on fucking motorcycles. Exactly. Dude. See, I, I got to point out, they say the plot was by Eric Sylvester. But it feels like McFarlane just drew this thing and they wrote a story around what the fuck he drew because there's the continuity from panel to panel. Either McFarlane wasn't good at reading the script or there wasn't a good script for him to read or the communication was bad. The sequence of events of this book is really fucked up and it's hard to follow. For starters, if I remember what happened, the striker kills or shoots the informant and then goes out the window. And then the real striker shows up and that's how we know that there's a shapeshifter and the real striker is the one who gets blasted by heat wave. And I think that the J-Lo booty was actually supposed to be recognizable as striker's booty but i agree with you it looked more like a chick and so they're pursuing this shape-shifting hitman out into the fucking boonies out in the rural area and somewhere. all of a sudden he looks like the thing running across the street yeah and then at some the point it's a gigantic hat, like obese round well, fucking no, like grimace looking shit in a, in, a, in a trench coat with a fedora and then next thing you see him smashing a, he throws a guy through a window and he looks kind of like trimmer and that's when rib claws chasing after him and next thing i know they're on motorcycles and striker's talking about how he went to a bar and saw this purple chick and and they were flirting. She's kind of with this guy, and the guy starts a fight with Stryker. So Stryker beats his ass. Then she kind of gives him the come here and get some look. He follows her into an elevator. Apparently, she scratches him, and, and it, it's some chick that he fantasized about, or like no, so, someone he was his, his first head. love. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They find the car crash, and now Heatwave decides to fly and get off his motorcycle, which made <laughs> no fucking sense. I mean, like, why would you ride a motorcycle if you could fly from the start? I think maybe he can only do it for periods of time or some shit. Maybe he exhausts his yeah, energy I mean, or yeah, something. That's how they always portrayed in comics you got five minutes in the sky and then you're gonna drop it's called falling then man he jumped and he fell it's not really flying by the way did you happen to notice how much the dynamic between heatwave and striker was like cyclops and wolverine the little pissy bitch kind of you know one's the uptight leader and the other one's yeah i'm I'm gonna go out get a beer and i'm a badass and i don't have to follow your orders kind of bullshit well then again we have the giant moon 
in the background with a hulking creature running in front of the moon and that striker as they're running and he finds some kind of track and Heatwave sees this big blubby creature and he says there must be something wrong with my octic he can fly dude because he literally lands a soft landing in front of Ripclaw I think he tells Ripclaw what direction to go by this time it's what 5 5.36 a.m. in a small farm and uh, a farmer hears something in his barn he goes out there and it's an image of his sister eat or his daughter eating cat or a dog or something I think it's a dog because they show the dog corpse later on see that threw me off because you see that but then you see it from a, a different angle and it's like this demon looking yeah, at yeah because it's the shape-shifting hitman again his name's psych out and he kills the farmer and his wife and he shoves the rifle through the head of the farmer it's really and the, fucking and the gory hanging scene. Off the rafters. yeah and they find oh. the bodies and then heat wave catches up with psych out again no 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 dude you're jumping ahead dude because then all of a sudden yeah because this story sucks we can jump ahead dad and he's like papa is that you papa yeah and then all of a sudden strike like cyber blades fixing up striker and she's like hey the scratch was never meant to hurt you but to inject some kind of uh hallucinogen in you and he goes well that makes sense because i was having a beard this hot chick was hitting on me and of course heat wave is flying not jumping like you said he flies and he sees rip tie or rip cord or whatever the fuck his name is passed out on the ground because apparently papa kicked his ass and at this point they're like yeah we can't attack this guy because he's seen our deeper deepest most emotional desires some person and he's using it against us and what kills me too you you already said okay so first they send Cyblade, the team telepath to take care of the informant and then they're at the farm and i don't even know who the fuck you're supposed to be taking care of but it's like you go take care of that it's like she's your telepath you're fighting a psych out hitman who keeps fucking with your brains quit sending the psychic chick away you dumb motherfuckers why do they keep doing that she's the one who should be fighting psych out she's the one who can handle that particular power set she's got boobs so they keep fucking leaving her behind it's the dumbest shit how are we gonna take them down because he keeps getting in our heads and well and, this is the part where they all agree to think so they all decide hey we're gonna take you know well before before that down. too let's let's not forget huh? that we get the heat waves origin which is a, or part of his origin where apparently he was a family man and some guys come to kill him because he like narked out on them or some shit and they shoot his daughter and it's just like this theme for all these books we're reading it's like they keep killing these people's family members man i don't know what's with all these comic book artists who want their fucking families to be killed and well shit. How, how did he how did he not turn into the punisher right come on frank went batshit crazy started killing everybody apparently a heat stroke here just kind of like oh i'm gonna be a robotic hero now yeah. who still flies but for some reason rides motorcycles yeah and but, at this but the point, big they're thing like, all right this time we're gonna nail his ass we're gonna beat him by we're all gonna jump him at the same time that's our our great yeah. fucking strategy get him but we all got to think of something we hate infomercials yeah i hate those things i'm like this was so stupid <laughs> someone got paid for this script that's sad now ripcord or riptide or what the fuck his name is random motorcycle heat stroke is flying strikers with them they see psych out he's with this girl again seeing this i thought it was tremor it's not tremor mm-hmm. and she's like who's that bobby joe and it's she sees this guy he's like i don't know beats me and they're like i love you joe i love you too i'm so glad you've decided to run away together and at this point striker just starts firing from a distance and hits him and i guess he can't hold his shape she sees it and runs away looney tune style and he's trying to explain to her and then heat wave or heat stroke whatever it's like all right ripcord do your thing and he jumps on him and goes all wolverine and shit on him and starts chopping him and then all of a sudden a helicopter came out of nowhere yeah that was the, the helicopter that was working with psych out i and think like, i was, was like, going like, to well, pick him up have friends and high 
high places because there's a helicopter that's shooting at us and then striker shoots down a helicopter not knowing who's in a helicopter mm. bro you know it's the u.s military and you just killed soldiers and they bring down the helicopter and striker's smiling about it and then they commence to shoot psych out and ripcord claws his face like wolverine and they kill him and they find the chick and they're like let's take you home and that's it that's it yeah that was fucking horrible man <laughs> <laughs> fucking horrible what do you think about todd mcfarlane does a fit on those characters though i mean i don't know it, it since it doesn't really like todd mcfarlane to me it just looks like it's a weird image studio guy you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. it looks like a guy who's kind of trying to look like uh jim lee and also kind of like todd mcfarlane drawing if a cyber force issue half where they go and they retcon a bunch of bullshit mm-hmm. and link a bunch of characters together that's what it looks like to me or just the bullshit story that wizard put out you know as a promo yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yep. uh, and it came in if you bought a certain wizard alternate cover it came polybagged with this cyber force limited edition fucking story that explains some dumb shit that's what it seems like to me but whatever uh, I mean, we can jump. We can skip the fucking striker story. Right? No, we can't. Let's go. We're doing it no, up. no, no, dude. That art, dude. That shot of those doctors working on them is fucking beautiful art. Yeah, it is. It's nice. That it is beautiful. This might I, be the I best stared at this looking page for a good two or three minutes. So basically, all, all this is is some doctors working on a guy with his internal monologue, saying like, "How long have I been here? What's going on? Why are these guys bringing shit over to me? Why are they stitching me back together?" Blah 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 blah. And then the last page, he stands up and he's like, "I stand. I am taller than I was." And it turns out it's striker, and he's got like fucking nine arms or whatever yeah. which is indeed lame as hell but the opening couple pages where the doctors are working on him looks phenomenal and it's probably the best looking thing in this entire book like, Absolutely. Kind of, it's, clo- it's not even close is it it's not even close is it um, I, I i thought this artwork was phenomenal dude and it's mark silvestri so of course. put your fucking dick back in your trousers there mr fixer can't man that's but it, a, it looks, that's art it looks really good it looks really good. i think a single solitary background would have been nice yeah that's the blank colored backgrounds is, is a little but he look he put enough detail in the characters that's fine with me i don't give a shit and that's all now you're just nitpicking i'm nitpicking that everything is green and we don't see anything we have no sense of any space or anything i mean yeah. you could argue that maybe striker's in the same boat maybe he only has sense of the yeah. machines and the doctors maybe that's the, what he was going for but also it's a lazy fucking shortcut no it's art i think i think it works it's obviously a shortcut but i think it works i love that second page where that air tube or whatever that is just comes all the way down and bisects the entire page it looks freaking great dude that's phenomenal looks good bro looks yep. good all right but that's really all it is, is at the last page of striker and he's yeah just basically showing him in the six arms multiple arms multiple arms Let me go ahead and do another one. Want to kick me in the balls again? Why? <laughs> How about Jim Valentino drawing Youngblood? Oh, it's going to look terrible. Did I piss you off or something? Because you were like throwing me into like really horrible stuff right now. I mean, I don't know. Jim Valentino did uh, Gardens Galaxy. So as long as he applied some of that team book mentality to this, it wouldn't be terrible. They never finished that uh, that Mark Millar Youngblood, did they? Nope. Oh, okay. They did, what, like one or two issues? I think one. And Kirkman like, was going to do one too, and they never finished that either. Oh, really? Nope. Oh. Okay, what issue? Nine. And is this the one with Bad Rocks on the cover with mm-hmm. some... Bunch 
Gotcha, Couple babes. Girls. Yeah. Okay, I think the cover looks good. Young Blood Number no. 9 actually had two different covers. The main cover was by Jim Valentino, where it's Bad Rock and the various members of Young Blood sitting on a couch watching a TV show. The variant cover is by Rob Liefeld, and it's Bad Rock with a bunch of babes crawling over him. Jim Valentino did this issue, so it's a swap from the Shadow creative team to the Young Blood creative team. But they have a ringer. They brought in Dan Fraga to do the inking, which I think was a good idea. It gives it a nice little pop, varnishes Jim Valentino a little bit. There is a fun note, too, on the first page that says, this story does not necessarily conform to any known continuity. Nice little disclaimer. To me, the story plays out like an issue of What If, which Jim Valentino did quite a few of, but mashed up with an issue of Normal Man, which Jim Valentino also did quite a few of. So the story is that Bad Rock finally gets option for a movie. And the various members of Youngblood are trying to tell him, dude, you need to watch your back, make sure what you're signing, get your lawyer in there, get your agent in there, make sure you're not going to get screwed over. He's not listening because he's just so excited that he's going to have a movie. He gets on a plane. Well, he's 10 years old too, man. No, nah, he's 16, man. I think by this point he's 17, in fact. Okay. Which doesn't mean he's not an idiot, but he's a 17-year-old idiot as opposed to a 10-year-old. So he's on the plane. He actually starts singing Buck Owens' Act Naturally while he's on the plane. He's driving all the other passengers nuts. He arrives at the airport in LA. It looks to me like Mark Grunewald is his chauffeur, and he's sort of like an Alfred, oh my God, this guy is such an idiot kind of dude. But for some reason, he looks like Mark Grunewald to me. So I don't know if that was intentional or not. They drive him to the hotel room. Bad Rock's like, I haven't seen a hotel room this great since Pretty Woman. And he's really fascinated by like all the little tiny toiletries, like the shampoos and conditioners and shit. He's really into that. The Mark Grunewald dude makes him go to the meeting with the Hollywood types. They're telling him, hey, don't worry about the show. Look at all the cool merch we've got. We've got Pogs. So that's cute. To help to sell Bad Rock on their movie, they bring in George Spiel Coppola, who tells about this fantastic vision he has for the movie and everything. Bad Rock wants to have his hand in cement in front of Man's Chinese Theater. And so Grunewald helps to get that set up. It's funny, though, because the crowd, even though this guy's in Youngblood, they're still like, is that that dude from Wildcats? No, he's from Stormwatch. Oh, is that John Goodman? No, I think it's Jerry Mathers. So as big as Bad Rock likes to think he is, apparently in this story, he's not big enough to be able to differentiate with Maul or with Fuji or anybody like that. The guy's got a stretch limo, but to impress the girls, he rips the top off and turns it into a convertible, which gives Mark Grunewald a little heart attack. Definitely a big douchey thing, but I still think that you didn't need to turn this into a what if because Bad Rock can be pretty douchey. So they go to yeah. Muscle Beach. The bodybuilders are like, what can you push press? And so he picks up the slab that they're working off of and throws it into the ocean. So again, just commit murder. I don't know if they would die, but that would definitely be Dude, damaging. Yeah. If they're on, they're on there with all these giant weights were flung into the ocean. Yeah, true. That. Someone died. Yeah, someone. Yeah. So this is where the what if aspect comes in. Bad Rock signs the contracts. He asserts no creative control, and then he spends months waiting for them to produce whatever they're going to produce without any real good word. It finally is going to come out. They've got Robin Leach from Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous covering the big premiere. At the premiere, every fucking image character shows up. There's this one page where I think they made a point of getting every single person. They even have a little box in there that says "Eat Your Heart Out, George Perez." Of course, Jim Valentino can't draw it like Perez does, and it's all colored monochromatic. I wasn't even going to try without the colors I, it just hurt my eyes trying to differentiate the characters but they do have cameos by Neil Gaiman by Spider-Man by Hellshock Venom maybe it looks like or Black Costume Spider-Man Batman's in there telling people to get the cameras out of his face and then finally they're watching the Bad Rock show which is basically like an episode of Barney they've completely ruined his character Bad Rock gets pissed off and he smashes the TV the end I thought it was cute I enjoyed it for what it was it definitely plays out as a parody but it was fun and it did have a nice pizzazz to it because of the Dan Fraga finish 
wishes. I would definitely say I like the Youngblood story better than the Shadowhawk story. What do you think about the artwork? Which book looked better to you? Bond. No, no, no. Between Youngblood and Shadowhawk. Oh, Shadowhawk by far. Mm-hmm. I, and, I don't like this art style. No. I don't like it one bit. No. I'm sure people enjoy it. I could not read a book like this. <laughs> this art style just, it's, what is that one artist that you told me, uh, that I mentioned to you one time that I can't stand? I hate his artwork. He did the uh, EarthX book. Oh, John Paul Leone? Yes. Fuck an affront to God. Dude, that just, this ain't it that bad, but it's pretty damn close, dude. Like, <laughs> this is too cartoony. I hate this. That Paul France guy, dude, fucking hate his artwork. Just hate it. And he's done some, <laughs> some stuff I want to read. What's that goofy character that Image had? It was like a goofy Superman, bizarro type character. It was like a, some kind of slapstick character. Is it DC? No, it's Image. The slapstick character? Yeah, like it's, oh, fuck. Oh, you talking about Megaton, man? Maybe. Something like that. Yeah, it just, it's really goofy. Kind of like a Looney Tune world where like wacky stuff happens. Okay, yeah. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fucking hate all that shit. Like, I, I just don't <laughs> like that. I can't, I don't want to waste, I have very little time on his earth and I don't want to waste it on garbage like that. <laughs> so. Chicago. Ordinary cops were losing the battle. The criminal mastermind called Overlord and the super freaks held our city in their terrifying grip. Then a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. And now we have a fighting chance. just always liked Eric Larson's art style because it's kind of cartoony mm-hmm. and yet somewhat offensive oh, at yeah. the same time. Yeah, that, he, that makes you sense. know, he has a little bit of a Kevin O'Neill quality to his work. Yes, y- yes. They had a few preview pages up from Savage Dragon number 250 and it threw me off because you know that it's a son that's running the book now. That's the star yeah. of the book. Thankfully, he didn't knock up his adoptive sister. He knocked up the little Asian schoolgirl instead. And so they've got the kids running around. The first page of 250 you're seeing from like the ceiling because apparently there's like a mosquito on the ceiling that she wants Dragon to squish. And so you're looking down on them. You can see on the side of her shirt there's a down blouse with her nipples showing. God bless you, Eric Larson. <laughs> and then, and then you, they show some other pages where you're seeing Savage Dragon go out to get groceries and she's, he's coming back with the groceries. And so she's ordering him to go get take off his clothes immediately and get a shower, which we're all familiar with because it's a COVID-19 tie-in. And yeah. she's running around in fucking underwear in this loose shirt and it's like her ass is all like super defined and shit. And it's like Eric Larson is really horny for this chick. Like super Oh, yeah, no, no. This so Eric Larson draws like heavy metal magazine mm-hmm. back in the day. It's like you're almost going to get to see something, but not almost like he teases. His artwork is all about teasing. Uh, I'm I do telling love you, the there's nipple. When I said that they show nipple in that splash page, I'm not saying like the impression on her shirt. I'm saying you're looking down her shirt and you see her tit. He actually draws uh, the nipple. I, I would put that in the PG-13 of probably the shit he's done. I know he <laughs> did one page where he has that Asian chick on the dragon's shoulder and it says something about eating shaved pussy or something like that. Mm. I remember seeing like that pop up on my timeline one time. I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like, not sure which 
which one to go with? And I'm just like, either one is pretty fucking hardcore, dude. <laughs> Shadowhawk and then Savage Dragon were the first Image miniseries to be collected in a trade paperback about a month apart in April and May of 1993. Both were value-added with extra stories previously unseen due to delayed and abandoned group projects. Eric Larson didn't settle for a straight-up reprint either, offering a very different edit of the story. It was rearranged to be read in chronological order. So, for instance, instead of the seven-page fight sequence with Cutthroat that opened the miniseries, the trade starts with the memorable overhead shot of the amnesiac dragon lying naked in a flaming field. Every presentation of the Savage Dragon has run into this order ever since. Even the free digital copy you can find on the Image Comics website. Material from the second issue is resequenced into the first issue, while much of the material from the published number one gets pushed back into the second chapter. This is largely due to Larson creating a slew of new and repurposed pages to develop the debut issue and overall miniseries. We get to see Dragon going through the police academy, including a scene where he demonstrates perfect marksmanship on the gun range. Then he freaks out about not knowing how he got so good or much of anything else about himself. Unused pages from the unpublished Operation Urban Storm show Dragon graduating and meeting fellow officers. Sergeant Bruce Robinson, William Johnson, Alex Wilde, Phil Dirt, and especially Howard Niceman, a very vocal bigot. When Officer Niceman takes Dragon aside and tries to bully him into getting his way, Dragon lifts him up by his nuts. Niceman had already had a history of brutality against minorities, so Dragon lectured him about being a bad apple that casts a shadow over the majority of righteous cops. Dragon literally gave a hashtag not all cop speech nearly 30 years ago. Not a goddamn thing has changed for the good since then. I assume William Johnson is a narc with his beard, long hair, and glasses. It looks like they're trying to set him up as a suspect for the secret identity of the vigilante star. In another scene, Johnson sets up the fight with Cutthroat, finally revealing his female partner's name as Glowbug. Then there's a three-page sequence where reporter Cindy Martinez covers Dragon's one-man war on Chicago supercrime. He's seen as a sort of race traitor by his fellow freaks, which is a term that they use for all the superpowered people in Chicago in the Savage Dragon books. But generally, Savage Dragon gets positive reviews coming from his fellow officers. People on the streets also generally approve, although one man drops an N-bomb regarding who Dragon should go after next. Sharona Jackson, later known as Rapture, tells the reporter she wouldn't kick him out of her bed. There's an extra splash page overhead view of the carnage wrought by Dragon resolving the hostage situation, and another page of the hostage feigning, and Dragon carrying her out before the gathered press. After Dragon's battle with the newly cybernetic Super Patriot, there's two pages of his creepy stilt limbs working on autopilot so that the comatose cyborg could escape. The rest of the third issue runs mostly uninterrupted. After Badrock assaulted Dragon and was arrested, we see him in a jail cell. He initially threatens to break out before realizing it was probably time to just sit down and shut up until Young Bud cleaned up his mess. All right, Savage Dragon 13. Is the Jim Lee cover with the spider girl on it? No, it's the other one. Okay. And they're different books or what? Yeah, we're not doing the Larson version. We're only doing the Jim Lee version. He okay, wanted so an unbroken the... run of 250 issues. And so a little while after 13 came out. Oh, yeah, I got both of these issues. Yeah. yeah. Creative team on Savage Dragon 13 is Brandon Choi's story, Jim Lee Pencils. Oh, way. Jim Lee drew this? Yeah, Jim Lee drew it. Was he drunk? <laughs> this is not Jim Lee, dude. This is like, are you sure it's not one of his clones? It's him. It's him. He drew it because the whole selling point was that the, the original the artists an- were doing anatomy it. anatomy is fucked up on some of these characters. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he had a bunch of inkers on that one. So I think he, he got so, finished by a bunch of those. If you look at the cover, I think it actually so shows. Are you, t- are you saying he just like lightly drew in what he wanted and the inkers did all the work? I think it may not have been full pencils. I think he might have not given them all the information he normally would have. Okay, because I was going to say, this is kind of shitty artwork, dude. Like the chick has a super long giraffe neck which is kind of bothering me and dragon's head looks really weird mm-hmm. finishes a richard bennett on several pages alex garner on several pages dan panesian on a couple pages and scott williams on a few other pages got the whole Wildstorm squad out here working on this well it's interesting because scott williams was so associated with jim lee and has inked 
pretty much all of his stuff going back to the uncanny x-men days but this was a period where lee was experimenting a little bit with inkers and the majority of it i think was inked by richard bennett and so it looks a little bit different than his norm yeah 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 for sure richard bennett really sort of takes over a lot of these pages and richard bennett did the cover too right i'm certain of it yeah because he had a very if you're talking uh, previously with the in the shadowhawk segment about all the extraneous cross hatching and bennett was definitely a huge fan of that movement but i think he had a very sharp line and so it gives everything a kinetic energy that i wouldn't say is lacking with williams but it seems like everything's sort of amped up to an extreme when he's doing the inking okay you want to do a quick recap of this one yeah let's go you start out you're in chicago and there's some folks in a diner having a quick discussion and while they're having this discussion you realize that some of the people in this diner or restaurant are undercover agents and savage dragon is out in well, uh, just just to clarify specifically you have undercover cops one in particular right. is william johnson who's like the, the long-haired dude who's the woman that isn't she involved with savage dragon i'm not a huge savage dragon reader but i don't know who you're the, talking about the blonde fem- or the brunette no the brunette short okay. or no so, short-haired it looks like she has black hair almost okay so the, the, sh- the, the one with the short dark hair is alex wild who is a savage dragon's partner on the police force and she's sitting yeah, with yeah. him in the van while william johnson has a wire inside the restaurant yep some dudes walk in one guy is russian one guy is not his name's max the guy who's not the guy who's russian is i know they say his name a million times well his and, real name uh, is rinko but they refer to him as spetsnaz because he was supposed to have been russian military or russian black op right so he's there confronting an asian man who's obviously some sort of uh, mob boss in his own right he's talking about some weapons deal they insult each other the deal goes bad and a russian guy just pulls out his gun and starts wasting everybody which means his guys pull out guns and they start wasting everybody and everybody's just getting shot in this thing so one of the guys who's there on a date who is not associated with savage dragons police force and is not a mobster pulls out his two guns and you realize at this point this is obviously grifter do you, um, and know, maybe do you know anything about grifter point. by the way do you know who, you know what can you tell me about grifter uh, he's like if gambit and wolverine had a sexual visual baby or something i don't know <laughs> doesn't he have like healing powers but he's uh anyway I don't know. something like that yeah is that what it's yeah like? and and just uh he's out with alicia turner and i stole this straight up from comic vine i didn't even try to edit this she's supposed to be john lynch's former aide and a former assistant director of io she has strong telepathic and psionic abilities she and griffer had an intimate relationship at one point and i'm giving the impression that intimacy may still be lingering on this little date they're on gotcha so he recognizes the russian guy and he's like they said you were dead he keeps calling him cowboy or something like that anyway it's just a big shootout the other guy that was there max shoots grifter it looks like he shoots him in the face i think he clips his skull and they get away yeah yeah it's something like that it does look like he gets shot in the face but anyway and then at that point savage dragon and the police officers bust in and these dudes like they like armor up or something i can't really tell what goes on there because they don't really do this again later um and then they're they're talking about how their mob overlord is named demon seed right or something like that Mm -hmm. i think it's demon seed yep yep. some of these names are a little generic so it's easy for me to mess them up overlord demon seed it's imagey guys give me a break savage dragon comes in he tries to break up the deal and then now it's just some super powered baddies fighting back and forth shooting people left and right he shoots a savage dragon's partner and is like well dude you can either beat me up or you need to go take her to the hospital and save her what are you gonna do and he's like alex damn it and he like runs to go help her and these dudes take that moment to escape grifter wakes up in the hospital and savage dragon standing over the bed and he's sort of just like dude you gotta answer some questions here what the hell's going on 
Who are those dudes? Dragon wants to interrogate the one guy he managed to catch who's still alive. And then his buddy who's got spy connections, Alicia Turner, comes and, and gets him loose. And Dragon holds it against him as they continue their individual investigations into the same people. Right, right. Okay. So then you go to, uh, we, we see Overlord for the first time. Or am I skipping past what you just said? It doesn't really matter. This Overlord dude's one crazy looking motherfucker. And this is very Richard Bennedy. He's got cables all over him and whatnot. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> the he, crazy Richard armor. Richard but... like, he's, he's got to work some sort of crazy tech armor into all of his art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but also um, he's got these gigantic bat wings too. It's a very incongruous. Yeah, that's right. And the guy's just like dealing weapons. It's very strange. Like, what is this, what is yeah, this guy? Need? He just wants to be the new weapon. crime loader of Chicago. It's like, dude, you look like you're a world beater and all you want to do is like <laughs> fuck with Dime Store Dr. Doom up in Chicago. Okay, whatever. He's battling some Asian crime syndicate for <laughs> weapons from Ukraine. It's like, <laughs> dude, you look like fucking, you look like Thanos is some, you're like, you should be on a planet somewhere. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> so then we, uh, what do you call it? Max, the dude who shot Grifter, confronts Grifter on a rooftop and they sort of talk about like, what the hell are you doing, man? Like, look, I'm involved with these guys. Just back off. Let me do my thing. Well, do they, do they have the big reveal there or do they save it for later on? Uh, I think they save it for later on. Okay. Kind of. I don't know, dude. Okay. They obviously well, know each let, other. Let's just go ahead and spoil it now. The guy was going under the really pale pseudonym Mac Prophet, but he's actually Max Cash, the brother of Grifter, Cole Cash, who, and both of them grew up in Chicago. Okay, maybe they do say that there. But then it gets, it gets revealed to Homegirl later on that he's actually undercover or whatever and has been infiltrating them and whatnot. The Russian guy realizes, hey, who was the blonde there with Grifter? Let's just go kidnap her. Grifter goes to her apartment. What is the note? He leaves in lipstick on her mirror. So something like, I have the woman come to something, 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 something. Serenko. He's like, all right, I'm going to go get Homegirl back. And dis- And this is all like leading up to the same point where this fucking overlord Demon Seed got Demon Seed dude is going to go do this weapons deal. So everyone's going to kind of all be at the same place at the same time. While Grifter is at her apartment seeing that she's been abducted, Savage Dragon shows up there and was like, hey, what the fuck is going on here? We got to figure out what's going on or I'm taking you to jail. And he was like, look, dude, I got history with these guys. Let's just all go to this dock together and I'm going to try and get my girl back. You get to knock these weapons dealers off the street. It's a win-win situation. Or you cannot do it and all this shit's going to go down without me, whatever. And uh, so Savage Dragon agrees to let him go do what he needs to do and then he'll do what he needs to do, if that makes sense. Uh, people are going to do what they're going to do. They show up to this gun deal and Max sees that they've got homegirl, they're captive, and he's like, what the hell is she doing here? And he was like, well, what's the big deal, right? Like, you know, Grifter's out there and we've got her and if they show up, we'll just fucking kill her and all this stuff. And the guy's like, you better not. And basically, it's the Russian guy knows that Max, something's not right with this guy. So he's leveraging this chick to make him out himself and it's successful. Rinko blows him away, like shoots him several times. When he does that, Grifter and Savage Dragon all jump in, break up the gun deal. They rescue homegirl. Then it's just sort of a knockdown drag out with the Russian guy and Demon Seeds men versus Savage Dragon, Grifter, and all these guys. You find out Max is wearing a bulletproof vest anyway, so he gets up. So it's blonde girl's got guns. Grifter's girl, because she gets released or whatever, she's got her guns. Savage Dragon's got his guns. Grifter's got his guns. All the baddies have their guns. They're all shooting left and right. Even though it's the middle of the fight, somehow this Demon Seed guy and the Russian guy get out of the building. Like, I don't even know how this happens, but they get out of the building. They get into a boat, into a boat and they're like, hey, look, we got most of the weapons. Let's just cut our losses and get out of here. And they're like, good idea. So they start to leave. And as they leave, Savage Dragon is extremely upset because the guy are going to get away and grifter opens up one of the weapons boxes and sees it's some gigantic fucking uber high-tech bazooka so he just pulls the bazooka and is out and is like watch this and he just fucking fires the bazooka shot at the boat the russian guy was escaping him with all the weapons and he blows it up and it's just just massive explosions of all the arms exploding taking demon seed and the russian guy ravenko out they all live happily ever after and you can believe it, it given 
how much effort they put into that crazy-ass armor of demon seeds. Apparently, even though it would be totally easily explained that they survived, they never appear again, so I guess they actually did get killed by the fucking bazooka. No, they don't ever after. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's They it. never appear again. It's just that he just blew him up. It's like, okay, well, that was easy. I thought you were going to be more he's of like, thing. Ob- he's like obviously flying, too. And it's like, what the fuck does he need this boat for? Like, it's so weird. <laughs> so weird. Of course, you can see where Grifter looks like Grifter's supposed to be, but Savage Dragon looks like just one of his characters painted green. Mm. And the fin has like this weird defying physics kind of motion to it. I mean, the artwork is fine. I, I, it's not what I would expect Jim Lee caliber to be, but if you know, he if, if you told me, oh yeah, he knocked this out in like six hours, I'd be like, yeah, that looks about right. <laughs> well, this was the last comic he drew before he went on his sabbatical from what I understand. Maybe this was when he was like, oh shit, I really can't draw and he stopped. This looks more like Brandon Cho drew it and less than, more or less than Jim Lee. It just, it... <sighs> Yeah, dude, like, I mean, just in that first panel, whenever you see them in the, in the, in the restaurant, the girl looks weirdly shaped, like her waist and her upper chest, and then she has this really weird long neck, and is she a mutant? And then Savage Dragon's face in the next page looks just weird. I don't know, maybe I'm just so used to Eric Larson drawing them. Yeah, yeah, like, there's a, dude, she has like a super long neck. Like, her neck is the length of her head. Almost like, that's just weird. Okay, well, I'm just gonna make fun of it, dude. That's what I'm gonna do. Okay. So, I mean, uh, out of all the artwork you've shown me, this mm-hmm. is the better one, but it's still like Jim really lowered the bar so it's not really great. Mm-hmm. Have you ever read Savage Dragon in the past? I've read some issues here and there. So this is my question. I thought that Eric Larson had drawn every issue of Savage Dragon and this is obviously he has nothing to do with this issue. So did this get retconned or something or how how you alluded to something went on with this issue so I'm curious yeah. why this exists. Well okay do you know what the basic premise of Image X Month was? They were wife swapping titles. Is that basically right. But one of the big things with Wildcats is that Jim Lee had been promised to take a sabbatical he was going to quit X-Men regardless of what happened with Image but because of Image he continued to work even as his wife got later and later into pregnancy and then his wife gave birth and that's why the Wildcats books was so late or that was one of the reasons given was because he was dealing with being a new father and dealing with the company and everything else and so when he came back after a short sabbatical he started doing Wildcats again and then he made it up to issue 13 which was his final monthly issue it was also the last time he ever did Wildcats on a monthly basis and so he was outgoing going before he does a sabbatical when he does the Savage Dragon issue. But as you mentioned, Eric Larson, it was very, it was a point of pride for him. He wanted to do like Jack Lee, Jack Lee, like Stanley and Jack Kirby did, specifically Jack Kirby did, on Fantastic Four where he had like a hundred and so odd issues. He was wanting to have the most comic books ever written and drawn by the same person. And losing a year of that work, more than a year of that work, he'd already lost three months because he did the miniseries and he started a new ongoing series. And so he wasn't going to get to count those issues. And then he goes and he does the, the swap month and he doesn't draw the issue of Savage Dragon. He couldn't stand it. So within about a year or so of this issue of Savage Dragon coming out, he went and drew another version of Savage Dragon. I think it's even listed as Savage Dragon 13A. Just so you know, this is the real one and it sort of like retroactively made the issue the fake one. If you look at a lot of sites, even though it came out a year later, a lot of sites do continue to list the Eric Larson 13 as the A, even though it's really more of a B. So that's why that happened. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. And so, I mean, yeah. it, does, it makes no It makes sense in the fact that it makes no sense. Yeah. But Well, I, I think what it was since they all knew that they were either taking a break or coming back from comic you know coming back to comics it was a good time for them to do this one last thing as a group where they're swapping the titles 
Charles, and that, that would be a lot of fun. And this other guy's got roped into it. If, Eric Larson in particular, he wasn't really super keen into it. He got Vaughn told that that's what they were going to do, and that they were going to swap the titles. Went along with it, but obviously he had regrets afterwards, and he fixed that aspect of it. So, well, I mean, if you in the next issue we cover the Wildcats issue, he basically says it in the forward, where he's mm-hmm. all like, well, "What the hell am I drawing these characters for? Wow, there sure is a lot of people on this team, and they sure are detailed, and they're fucking. <laughs> they've all got totally different costumes, and it's sort of like, why am I doing this? And then you read the issue, and it's like, why did he do this? <laughs> well, I mean, let's just like way right into it then. What happens in this issue? Yeah. The last one I want you to look at is Wildcats number 14. Wildcats, Wildcats, Wildcats! Wildcats! They're heroes, not zeros, nothing too fierce. So, here's the facts. Hard as nails. When all else fails, they're Wildcats. Nerves of steel. The fact you know the whole fucking intro is sad. Here's the deal. Wildcats. Wildcats number 14. Covert action teams or whatever. Fucking whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's the cover with Maul. Yeah, I think it's Mighty Man, isn't it? Mighty Man, yeah. Yeah, the Eric Larson issue. It looks like Eric Larson writes a whole I'm sorry I had to do this shit page (laughs) right at the beginning. Like, sorry guys, I got roped into this shit. A deal's a deal. Yeah. So yeah, the very first page, it says Cat Calls. This is Eric Larson speaks about Image X Month and he basically goes into detail where you can totally tell by the tone of this page. He was not excited to do this at all (laughs) and was like not excited. He wants to draw his own people and is involved in his own book and that's all he's ever wanted to do, which is the whole point of Image is that I want to go do what I want to do and I don't want to have to draw other people's characters if I don't want to. So they all have a big idea to make Eric Larson draw a bunch of characters he doesn't want to draw. <laughs> it's just like, it's hilarious that he put this in front of this whole issue. So many backhanded compliments to Jim Lee too. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, sure, like again, wow, sure a lot of characters on this team. Wow, they sure all do have a lot of detailed costumes that you gotta just continuously draw over. I don't know how he keeps it all straight. I'm already gonna say right now, dude, Eric Larson, I prefer Eric Larson's artwork over everyone. Mm. Even though Zealot's ass looks really fucking weird. <laughs> a lot of lines on that and, ass. And Voodoo has a really blank stare in her eyes. Let me see. Okay, it starts off with Maul. What are they, knocking out some... Uh, de- it's the Demonites, right? Is that who these people fight? Demonite fragment called Warbreed. Very imagey names throughout both of yeah, these. Yeah, uh, and I think the issues. specific member is supposed to be Stronghold, and I was trying to look them up right quick. I want to say I saw those names under pictures in one of the source books or something, but I could in the short time I was putting that together, I couldn't find the info. It must be pretty minor, if anything. This is the second and third 
third page is a big splash page. Lots of splash pages in this issue. Very quick to read. Huge splash page of all of the Wildcats drawn by Eric Larson, which is just bizarre because they all look like they're Savage Dragon characters, but they're just cosplaying as Jim Lee characters. <laughs> very interesting. Way more butts than we're used to. If you actually wore these clothes, your asses would be hanging out on every photo anybody ever took of you. So it makes a little more sense. They're wrapping up another Demonite win. And who's this? Uh, who's the girl here? Voodoo. Oh, man. these Voodoo. She's pissed off because she's like, we're supposed to get a vacation here. I want a vacation. And who's the little guy? I'm messing up all this. Uh, <laughs> no, no. I think it's hilarious because I think you're like in the Larson role in this scenario where you're just like, okay, who's the, the midget in the suit? That would be Jacob Marlowe, the, the boss of the team. Marlowe. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm telling you, I, I feel like I'm Eric Larson doing this. It, especially because like even on that splash page, he was like, great job, guys. Another demonite win. And I'm guessing Eric Larson read like five or six issues of this shit. It's the exact same shit to every single issue where they're just fighting more demonites. She's saying, hey, you promised me a vacation. I want my vacation. He's like, no, no, no. We got to do one more thing and then we get the vacation. And he's like, but I'll tell you what, I got a private island and we can all go there and relax and stuff like that. And she's like, okay, that sounds great. So they're all back getting ready to go on this vacation. They've got like uh, Hawaiian shirts on and whatnot. Um, they're talking, there's some like weird sexual frustrations being alluded to that they're going to uh, try and alleviate on this vacation. Maul is in his room and he's listening to the news. And he's talking about some woman that I guess he knows was paralyzed in a fight with Mighty Man. Mighty Man was fighting somebody and a building yeah, toppled the, over the, and paralyzed the lady's this woman. Name- Margot Silva. She was crushed under debris in a battle between Mighty Man and Overpower. A little bit of a spoiler. Turns out that she was an associate of Maul's back when he was a scientist. A similar thing had happened where he'd mauled out, he'd hulked out, whatever you want to call it. And she, I guess she's just in the habit of getting caught in debris. And so she'd gotten hurt when that happened. And he has all this guilt over that. And now here she is apparently paralyzed in another battle. And he just totally roids out, mauls out, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Yes, he mauls out. And he uh, blows through the door and the Wildcat dudes come in there and they're like, hey, where'd Maul go? And then he's on like a fantastic car. Like, is this like a real thing they had or is this just Eric Larson going crazy? Eric Larson doing a Kirby for the fun of it, which is actually that's one okay. of my favorite mo- moment in the entire book is seeing him turn Maul into a Kirby character for that one splash page. Absolutely. It's phenomenal. Like, this is the opposite of what Jim Lee would have ever drawn. Then we get to what are these dudes called? The Freak, uh, Freak, Force. Freak Force. And they're also kind of talking like, hey, we got to go on our little vacation too. there's, you know, they're trying to draw the parallel that the Freak Force versus uh, Wildcats. Well, and, um, and then you go I just want to take a moment to. I just want to take a little moment to. You're a casual lateral to image. You're not. You never really read image, but you were around during the image times, and of course, you were in comic shops when those things were filling the bins and on the shelves. So you have at least a a proximal osmotic relationship with the Wildcats. So when you say Maul, you know who Maul is. You expect other people to know who Maul is without like going into a lot of detail. We know he's Purple Hulk. How does that translate to the Freak Force? Um, I recognize the super. Patriot guy from Savage Dragon, right? Is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Super Patriot. I recognize Rapture because doesn't she end up getting involved with Sh- with Savage Dragon at some yep. point? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the this dude Barbaric. I recognize him, but I did not know that was his name. And I recognize and so Ricochet. He's the but big I did red not, dude. Did not know. Their name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Ricochet's like kind of. I always thought she looked a little like Kitty Pryde a little bit, you know. But like like she's like, like maybe Bucky, Steam- Bucky mixed with Kitty Pryde. Yeah, kind of like steampunk Kitty Pryde or something. Steampunk Kitty Pryde. <laughs> Back to the story. So Mighty Man is like grieving over this woman that he's paralyzed. And he's just like, I, you know, I did what I had to do to save all these lives. You have to understand this is not what I wanted. If I could trade places with you, I would. And while he's grieving over her, Maul breaks into the hospital and just starts trashing him. So, yeah, like you said, Maul is like Hulk. The matter he gets, the bigger he gets. But the bigger he gets, the dumber he gets, which means he gets matter, which means he gets bigger. So he basically throughout this fight is getting, which makes him an incredible character for Eric Larson to drop. Because that <laughs> seems, sounds like something Eric Larson would have come 
come up with. Well, I mean, I, uh, I think there's a reason why all of a sudden Maul takes center stage in this particular story. Yeah, absolutely. You get to have Mighty Man and Maul just smash on each other for several pages. It's right up his alley. Beating on Mighty Man, beating on Mighty Man. They're smashing each other back and forth. Maul's getting huger and huger and huger. And then the Freak Force show up to go bust up Maul. And then right after the Freak Force show up, the Wildcats show up to fight Freak Force. And they're all basically fighting back and forth. There are gratuitous thonged asses popping up from page to page. They're backhandedly complimenting each other as they use their random powers against one another. Um, until... Okay, then Savage Dragon shows up. He jumps in and starts getting a hold of Grifter. And they allude to the fact that they had just met in that Savage Dragon issue that we just spoke of. Mighty Man, I guess his alternate, uh, his alias is actually like a female. I do not know this of Mighty Man. He's actually a smoking hot chick or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it's actually so he... the nurse that was taking care of Alex Wilde in the Savage Dragon issue. It, that's the dual identity. She becomes Mighty Man. Right, right, right. So she, when she shrinks back down or she turns from Mighty Man into the nurse and she's like, please don't hurt me. And he's all like, huh? And he's like, where did Mighty Man go? And he's like, oh my gosh. So that kind of like stops him from getting so mad, which means he starts to kind of regain his wits. You know, Savage Dragon tells Grifter, hey, we're both good guys. Let's quit. And Grifter's like, That's hey where, guys. Okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry. yeah, Savage Dragon is telling Grifter like, hey, Freak Force are good guys, dude. And you guys are good guys. So what? Do, why are we all fighting each other here? And he's like, wait a second. He's like, Wildcats, stop fighting these dudes. And, and then it's like, we screwed up. Like, and that's a quote. He literally yells, we screwed up. And then that leaves Maul being stupid and dumb and smashing everything. And it's Mighty Man turning into the female nurse that snaps him out of it. And suddenly we're all friends here, quote unquote. So from there, they all decide like, hey, you know what? Why don't we all go to this island together? And they're all hanging out and chilling. And uh, what do you call it? There's this weird scene at the end where Maul and his regular secret identity is there, you know, in like his board shorts on the island. And Mighty Man's there in a bikini because he's in his alter ego. And she's just like, hey, you want to hang out and talk? You know, you're kind of cute or whatever. And he's all like, uh, I don't think so. I'm still getting over seeing Margo again, the woman who was paralyzed. And he's like, well, uh, I mean, you can change into a guy. So it's just too weird. And she's like, oh, uh, I guess it is at that. I understand. And then she like sighs and says, poop as he walks off and uh yeah it's weird too because she seems like such a goody goody nurse and then you see her on the beach and once again the thong is all the way up her ass um yeah. so like there's there's no uh modest people in an eric larson book it seems like yeah it, which i think he's taking some shit for but when the thongs are that far up you're gonna collect some shit i'm assuming uh i think it's unavoidable it's unavoidable uh, and with I, this uh exposed cheekage I, I do think too it's important there is a page where maul and his human identity is visiting the uh, Margot silver lady and she basically explains look it's not your fault it's not mighty man's fault it's just a circumstance you know she basically absolves them of any, of any guilt and then they forget about her and fuck off to the beat yeah yeah but it's more of i was at the wrong place at the wrong time it happens don't feel guilty don't feel bad at mighty man yeah so that was that issue i don't know what to t- i don't know what to make of that issue <laughs> i'm not I saying i love them riding that uh new gods type mm-hmm. motorcycle yeah very kirby shit very kirby yeah but no i'm telling Dude, you that seriously is, that is the shit i don't even have to read this i just like looking at the artwork mm-hmm. mall looks great freak force looks fantastic fucking Wildcats looks great, except he really does not like... What's her name from Wildcat? Zealot or Voodoo? Zealot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she's like really fucking misshapen. Mm-hmm. She's got like yeah, stretch marks or some shit. Maybe she's just... Because like Dart looks like Dart and Zealot looks like anorexic. Kind of uh, looks like, like Connie his, Nielsen. Uh, like Flavor Flav or Connie Nielsen. The one? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, not... not uh, Con- yeah. yeah. But even Rap 
Rapture looks cool. I, even though I always thought Rapture was smoking hot in the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, she's good. Uh, dude, I mean, his artwork, yeah, fucking just great. I, I don't know what the story is, but it's punchy, punchy, kicky, kicky. It's all I needed. It was very much a classic Marvel filler issue, mm-hmm. right? Like where you bring in a random creative team for one issue between creative teams. Either like you have a massive story arc close and then they're going to take a, a one issue break and do they just bring in some dudes to come in and do an issue about just some random bullshit like them going on a vacation or, and running into a villain. Yeah, or it's an inventory story where they've had it in their back pocket the whole time and somebody blows a deadline and they're like, Zoop, here you go, here's your new issue. Yep. But yeah, definitely somewhat of a filler. I mean, you have to give credit to the Savage Dragon team. They did introduce the fact that, I don't think they'd ever mentioned that Grifter was from Chicago before. They introduced his brother that we didn't know about before. They seem to introduce what could be a substantial villain even though nothing ever becomes of that guy. You feel a sense of there being some weight to that issue where this is just a total slugfest. Yeah, which is what a lot of those Marvel fillers would be. It would be, hey, we get these people and they meet these people for the first time and they have a little fight and realize they're on the same side and now they're friends at the end of it. I mean, a very formulaic, I don't want to say phoned in, but it was rather, I mean, he, he still put in some effort in the art for being phoned in. I mean, he drew, a, there were a lot of characters he had to draw, but I got to imagine with how prolific Eric Larson is, he could do something like this issue in his sleep. Mm-hmm. So he probably did. He well, probably did. And I think he took advantage. By this point, I think Freak Force was on issue nine and the book was probably not doing as well as it could have been ideally so that he maybe thought that they needed to the, the get pumped up some so you get to have them fight the wildcats hopefully increase their visibility but i'm sorry i don't buy the freak force doing so well against the wildcats the fact you've got like rapture using her electricity powers against void who's a quasi goddess it's like come on now guys i, I don't i don't buy this shit. these fights are not how, right. that's not how these fights would work out yeah and i even i was like okay the freak force they're going toe-to-toe <laughs> with wildcats like come on let's let's uh let's slow our roll here a little bit but again, it doesn't. It, it's a filler issue. doesn't matter. But of the two issues, which one did you like the best? I actually think I liked the Wildcats issue better mm-hmm. because it was less – You, it was less investing. I mean you, you just sort of – just a bunch of shit happening and then there were some goofy, funny moments like the you know Maul being essentially propositioned by Mighty Man at the end and he's like weird about it and all this. Like, like stuff like that was pretty funny. Yeah, or, um, or like uh, when they had that one page where they keep having all the acronyms because Larson's taking a shot at Brandon Choi's desperate need to make everything an acronym yeah yes there's like multiple acronym <laughs> references and then all the uh, little, little yeah. editorial box explaining what that acronym means which defeats the purpose because you know why are you shortening the names when you have to explain what the names mean anyway yeah yeah so whereas like you said the other one was like really trying to take itself seriously and it was extremely wordy for really little substance but it was probably prettier to look at i think that there was some pretty good like i think savage dragon looked badass in that mm-hmm. savage dragon issue yeah. and i know that you know eric larson is the savage dragon guy but watching like the cover the cover's ph- phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, I, Savage Dragon looks badass. Richard Bennett was an r- extremely slow artist. He'd been at a Neil Adams' studio, and he was sort of like a guy who seemed like he was coming up as, to be a star at continuity, but continuity could never really support him. So he goes over, he does some work for Wildstorm. He became one of Jim Lee's inkers of choice for a brief period of time. Definitely put a different kind of stank on Jim Lee. Definitely kinetic and lots of liney-liney, so many lines. Yeah, he still looks like Jim Lee, but it, it was a, definitely a different take. And so it grabs your eye in a way that maybe a Jim Lee Scott Williams collaboration wouldn't just because by then you were so familiar with how their stuff looked that to see Jim Lee with that twist on him grabbed your eyes more and, and of course 
Savage Dragon very rarely gets drawn with that level of crazy detailing and so that was a nice change for him as well and actually just need to see him in a sort of more of a serious environment they've done darker stories in Savage Dragon but there's always that big broad quality of Larson's where you take him seriously as he's wading through I guess a sewer or something and he's got the dramatic lighting and everything it's easier to take a green skinned cop with a fin a little bit more seriously under this pen yeah and I know Richard Bennett from Brass which I thought was some of the most amazing looking comic books I've ever seen in my life and was Brass was an image book right was yep, that an image book enough, or was yeah. that I've still else? got I've got the giant tabloid version they thought so much of his artwork that they actually put out a black and white tabloid of Brass just so you could see the line work that you know that with that much more clarity and to see how good it still looks even blown up yeah I mean and, and if guys if you've never seen Brass before just Google it and, and click through some of the, the pages it is just like absurd it's like nauseating detail it's it's just insane forget the words on the page just look at it I, I remember I would just pick these because they'd end up in cheapy bins or whatever the first couple issues yeah like maybe the first like three or four issues and I would just flip through them. I, I think I still own them to this day because I think I just bought them out of dollar bins it's just outrageous the amount of detail that goes into it so anytime I see Richard Bennett stuff it's always going to kind of pique my interest um, this is obviously early Richard Bennett and he was kind of just finishing Jim Lee or whatever but it's still really really good looking stuff another guy that he reminds me of is Brett Booth I feel like Brett Booth and Richard Bennett have a lot of sort of similar qualities but Brett Booth is probably a little more prolific a lot more tons um, more yes a, a lot more prolific but also um, more quirky you know you, you you have to be on the right wavelength to appreciate Brett Booth where I think that Richard Bennett is one of those guys that can get the chromium age people but also hook the more standard Marvel fans because he has the more stereotypically handsome chiseled features you know more heroic looking characters that kind of thing yeah and, and I feel like Richard Bennett I think he didn't he draw them for like he drew Iron Man on like a huge reborn cover maybe or some shit Pro- like that or no, or no he, brass was on was it well they did Iron trading cards everybody was doing everything back then I'm, I'm sure it happened though but he was he was one of those guys where it was like if you could do your fan cast your uh, creative team it was rich I wanted Richard Bennett to draw Iron Man mm-hmm. I was I would be like he would do some of the craziest shit with Iron Man you get somebody like Adi Granov who now does it and it's just like that is Iron Man now like you mm-hmm. can't picture you can't go anywhere without seeing you can't google the word Iron Man without seeing Adi Granov's art I feel like that could have been Richard Bennett if he would have found some way to be a little more efficient with his time or gotten on the right one shot stories of Iron Man he could have just blown some shit away but alas did not occur again as mentioned previously this was the start of Jim Lee's sabbatical he would stay away from comics for about two years if I recall correctly he came back and did one issue of Wildcats a single issue because I guess he wanted to do something with Alan Moore and I think as announced he was supposed to take over the book but then Heroes Reborn happened and so he then went on to spend six months to a year doing Fantastic Four for Marvel and then the only thing he ever did again for Image and Wildstorm was Divine Right The Adventures of Max Faraday it was the only time to my knowledge that he ever wrote for himself and then after that I guess he was so unhappy he sold the entire company to DC and never tried to do anything like that again Mm, that's still so weird to me whenever I see them talking about DC and and Jim Lee is like one of their chief operating officers or whatever. It's still so weird for me to see that being divorced from comics for so long. And then I walk in and it's just like Jim Lee's Mr. DC. And I'm like, what? Right. Mr. DC is X-Men guy. Yeah. He's Mr. X-Men. What are you talking about? I, yeah, yeah. And I've never been able to let that go over all the years is he was so great at Marvel. And of course, because his style was one of the defining styles of image, then he's, he's got to be great at image as well. And then when he's over at DC, it's like, what's this Marvel image guy doing at DC? Why, why is this Marvel image guy drawing the DC character? I've never been able to let that go. And as much as he's applauded, I really like there's certain iconic DC characters he does and I can't stand how he draws them. You know, I'm I understanding is he wanted to sell to Marvel and Marvel was going through the bankruptcy. So that wasn't an option for them. And so that's how he ended mm. up being Mr. DC. Weird. Strange.
So here we are with the creator of the Savage Cat. Hi, I'm Eric Larson. <laughs> welcome to the studio. I'd like to welcome you to the studio. Things are swell here, and we're getting a lot of work done. I'm sure you'll enjoy it a lot. Larson has a splash page of Dragon's nubile neighbor, Debbie Harris, sitting in the hall outside his apartment after a fight with her mother. Then there's three new silent pages of Debbie seducing the dragon, including a shot of her naked under the covers in bed, where Larson tries to do a Frank Miller, Sin City, Chiaroscuro effect. This leads us into Image Zero, written and drawn by Eric Larson. Basically, he's shaving in the morning, and he's got some blonde-haired broad who's like hanging all over and being like, oh, good morning, honey, didn't we have a great night? Ha ha ha, they're all laughing. Mr. Fixit, do you want to give some context for who this chick is? I have read savage dragon a very long time but from the conversation in the comic it looks like it's the neighbor's daughter that he's tagging i vaguely remember that story arc i did like when she referred to him as the incredible hunk though but that was pretty funny. Yes, that was fun. Yeah, it's funny because that was the, you remember that Peter David and Eric Larson had that long-standing feud, and so yes. this was him taking his shot at the Hulk, and then of course in the Liam Neese, sorry Liam uh, Sharp drawn issues of uh, Incredible Hulk, they put that fin on his head, and it's like this isn't any disguise. Nobody's going to be fooled by this. So you remember that? <laughs> Vaguely, I remember. I remember seeing that. It's been a long time. They I just couldn't to, help taking shots at I'm each other. I'm to revisit that, but she seems somewhat childlike because she's very bouncing around, and he's basically trying to go watch TV. You're kind of a annoying me so she goes to watch tv and she's pouty the door there's a knocking at the door he tells her to go answer and she's like what if it's my mom and he's like we knew that day would come don't worry about it we'll deal with it and then she has her head just not blown off but i mean just a dead shot between her eyes and savage dragon runs to her and the guy commits suicide and then it just ends so i actually wanted to find out where's the other part of the story because i want to know what happened same this was one where i was like okay yeah this is how you do this kind of shit (laughs) i'm like what is going on here like the dude blows the whole back of his head out after shooting her in the face like what Huh? And then the story it ends with Savage Dragon kneeling over her body going, oh my god. And the story ends. Yeah. That's how you pique my interest to read your books. Not some little trolley dude beating up a robot. Not some guy torturing people with a fucking uh, Nintendo power glove. I don't even remember the last story. So anyway. Another silent deleted scene shows the dragon being attacked by Debbie's mother at the funeral. And then Mr. Fix-It, can you tell us what happens in the Savage Dragon versus the Savage Megaton Man? Did you scan that one? What can you tell us about that story? Yes, because I could not read it because it was so bad for the most part it's your typical eric larson was he taking a jab at john burns oh yeah johnny redbeard's next man yeah i guess eric larson and him didn't get along yeah john burns said a lot of critical things against image again this is a guy who was a hero to the image guys and so for him to turn on them for starters it didn't reflect well on him because it definitely came across very much like envy more than anything else especially because he went over to legend or tried to build up legend over at dark horse and that didn't really work out for him and you know next men got canceled after three years if he'd gotten an image book he might have stuck around and instead he was fucking pissed off that these guys essentially replaced him because he assumed that he was better than a lot of them i assume yeah i don't think eric larson appreciated that all the characters in that nixman group it's all the books that burn had abandoned in recent years there's a she-hulk there's a superman there's a namor there's the next men it's, it's just a great big fuck you exactly and of course the whole book is a parody they bring in yeah. don simpson's megaton men characters which is probably the part where you started having trouble because if, if you look at the savage dragon trade the only pages are the mixed in pages where of yeah. course in this you've got the whole multiple universes and the don simpson strange heroes are invading what they call the image universe and yada yada yeah i just lost interest right away this art style just well i mean I technically know. larson draws about half the book because it's Does a it? true jam 
Um, where he does a certain number of the pages, and like the majority, like the backgrounds and stuff, and Simpson does a number of the pages and just has Larson come in to draw his characters. And, you know, it's a really good example of mixing two artists to complete an entire book. It's just that Simpson's art isn't compatible with Larson's art from that time period when he was doing more of that imagey cross-hatching and much more detailed. Do you think maybe that's why he wanted to mix the two art styles? I think he just was given props. It's a situation where Don Simpson was already doing the stupid book for them, the parody book. I, my understanding, you, do, are you familiar with Stupid? I remember Stupid. That was like their version of what the... Oh, no, I'm, I'm wrong. Stupid was the one that Hillary Barda was doing, and that was also an image parody, but they did the splitting image, I think is what it was, and that's the one that Simpson did, and that was a two-issue parody of the image concepts and a version of the events, you know, especially as we know from documentaries like, what's the one the sci-fi did? The image, yeah, I know what you're talking So much damage, right? So we know now that that was basically, there was a, a biographical quality to splitting image where it was image telling their side of the story, but also making fun of themselves. And from what I understand what had happened based on reading in the comic was that Gary Groth hated image comics and he talked to Don Simpson, who'd done work for Fantagraphics in the past about doing a parody of image. And Don Simpson wasn't comfortable with that. And he called, I think Rob Liefeld and told him, Gary Groth's going to do this thing. I'm, you know, I just want to give you guys a heads up. And Liefeld was like, fuck that. You're going to do the parody book, but you're going to do that for us. And that's the reason why splitting image came about is because Gary Groth wanted to fuck with image. Image decided to fuck with him right back. And so I guess between Don Simpson being a long standing creator and maybe he was friendly with Eric Larson or maybe Larson liked his stuff, but apparently they decided to do that one shot as well. And then of course it leads into a normal man crossover with Jim Valentino. So it might've been that Jim Valentino was the guy who was friendly with him. I don't know. You know, a lot of these guys are buddies at conventions and you wouldn't necessarily think of putting those two together, but it seems to me like Don Simpson and Eric Larson have somewhat similar mentalities and that Don Simpson, of course, did a lot of pornographic comics. And if you look at Savage Dragon these days, he's gone full porn on there. So there, there might be some shared sensibilities or, or they might be fans of one another. I did not know that. I told you about that the other day where like the Asian girl that uh, Malcolm uh, yeah. Dragon is hooked up with, he fucks her so hard she flies across the room and she lands with her ass up in the air and there's so much cum dripping out of her pussy that it lands back in her face. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I'm telling you, he went full fucking porn. 250 came out recently, and there's a fight during a sex scene where Savage Dragon's kids come in and start punching people, and they're basically punching their fucking heads off where they're exploding and shit. And I think the whole battle, the mom's naked, and you see everything. So that's the new Savage Dragon now? Yeah, apparently for the last 25, 30 issues at least, he's been willing to go like full porn. There's like nudity and shit in there now. Oh, like there's a spider villainess who shoots her webbing out of her cunt. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's crazy, dude. I, I, I didn't know that's where uh yeah well i mean you went with the book you got to figure the the sale the print runs have got to be so low these days uh, especially on a cult book like savage dragon that he might as well if he wants to draw fucking naked shit and porno shit then go for yeah. it man have fun with that you think he's just kind of getting burned out on his book no i think that it's you know he's always been kind of a horny guy and i'm sure that sales considerations and retailer considerations may have stopped him from going all the way with those inclinations and now it's like yeah. why, why what the fuck do you care what's he selling Twenty thousand, maybe fifteen thousand, ten. editors know Savage Dragon number 247 sold 3,770 copies and was ranked 320th on Diamond Comics distribution sales charts. Although, between the sales bump it will get for multiple covers and DC Comics splitting, watch it hit the top 100. Wait, did he just say c- I am not supposed to be guest appearing on shows that work blue.
Where in the f*** is my goddamn agent? Once you're at those kind of numbers and you're doing it basically as a labor of love because there's not much in the way of money in it, then fuck it. Do exactly what you want to do. You know, why would you have hesitation at that point? Because you're not going to grow your audience and you're probably not going to shrink your audience and that's what you want to draw, then fucking draw it. And probably the people who are still there are more hardcore than ever loving them. So remember that issue you gave me where they do the origins of Dragon? What issue was that? That was 100, right? What do you mean the origin? Like the, oh, you mean where they gave you the, that was actually zero. but, But when did that come out? That came out about 20 years ago now no yeah early 2000s i think maybe maybe no later than like 0506 somewhere in there okay because i was like what trade is that because i want to since he's gone full point i want to check out see where he's going with it because like i said i stopped reading somewhere in the 70s or 60s I yeah, think. That, and that's when he was still doing the kirby stuff like a lot of the kirby cat yeah. nasty stuff i think yeah well, I'm gonna 2006 2006 jesus really mm-hmm. 14 years ago holy shit time flies no shit okay We're jumping a lot, aren't we? We're not going to finish this issue? We'll jump back into it in a bit. No, no, no. Let's finish this issue because I got to get the fuck off of this call. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you insist. So I would say story-wise that Savage Dragon and the Shadowhawk were my two favorites of the bunch. Yes, I would agree wholeheartedly. I think I like the troll one. I think troll one was fun too. I think you're just trolling us now. <laughs> you are the troll. <laughs> you got to pay the troll to the troll. Yeah. Pay the troll toll to get into this boy's soul. <laughs> His whole? <laughs> no, I said soul. I said soul. Boy's soul. Uh, and I think I did like the Stormwatch one a little bit more than you guys. Because I'd, I'd put st- the Savage Dragon one a little... I mean, sorry, not the Savage Dragon. I'd put the Shadowhawk one a little uh, lower than the, the Stormwatch one. I, I don't think it was great. I did like it a little bit better. You know, it's prettier if nothing else. Well, I think that it... No, well, I, I think the Shadowhawk one is like, if you're still wanting to know who the fuck Shadowhawk is, I think yeah. that little mini shows it. Yeah, here. true, true. The Stormwatch one is just like, like me reading it. I'm just like, I don't have a clue. I don't have a single idea of what's going on in that issue. I don't know who any of the characters are. Are like, it's completely, it's teasing me nothing because I don't know anything um, the except shot, that the, the guy's dick. Dragon one is just a good hook to get you. Oh yeah, to no, we we all agree that's the best one. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Okay, you you were looking for your exit. Yes, I prove of the uh, uh, it's always sunny reference in this episode, <laughs> and therefore we are. Comp- you guys talk about Megaton Man and fucking whatever. And I yeah. Go. So for me personally, uh, my rankings. By the way, uh, uh, yeah, my rankings. I thought that Sylvester was the best on Spawn, followed by Valentino on Youngblood. This is story inclusive, clearly. Jim Lee on the Dragon. The, the Spawn and the, the Youngblood are the two issues that I still felt like they had their integrity. They felt like they were actual issues of those series. Starting with the Dragon, things take a big tumble because that's a grifter comic with special guest star Savage Dragon, even though he's the titular star and that's kind of fucked up. And as you said, with the inkers and shit, it's a little weird looking. It's still Jim Lee, but it's not up to his normal standards. Then McFarlane on Cyberforce. I liked how he drew Striker in particular. I like, he's actually good at drawing classic style heroes and there were some shots there that looked good but he's just not a good fit for Cyberforce. Penultimate is Liefeld on Shadowhawk that just looked really bad and I actually ranked Larson last in my listings because it looked the least like a Wildcat comic. He j- they just didn't feel at all like the Wildcats. It felt it, it, it just wasn't right for them. I, it felt like it was very much a Freak Force comic and there were a lot of Wildcats moments in there but they didn't feel like the Wildcats they didn't look the part and so I ended up putting them uh, last on 
of my rankings. Oh, uh, no, he's the top. I figured that. Down. So, so who's uh, the rest of them now? I'd go this one, then Spawn, then Lee, then uh, Bad Rock. Oh, no, Bad Rock would be dead last. Mm-hmm. Shadowhawk, and then Bad Rock. Yeah, Bad Rock was okay. the war. So, uh, what about McFarlane, though, on Cyberforce? Yeah, between Jim Lee and uh, Liefeld and um, Sylvester. Yeah, I mean, not three of them. I mean, it, it wasn't their best work. It, it mm-hmm. just felt really uninspired. I mean, Eric Larson draws like Eric Larson. You're never going to mistake in his shit. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, I don't know. It just didn't look like, like when I looked at McFarlane, it didn't look like McFarlane's artwork. Mm-hmm. It looked like someone else's artwork. I looked at Jim Lee. I told you, that looked shitty. Mm-hmm. Jim Lee drew that in like four hours and just fucking walked out the room. Yeah. Uh, Sylvester was Sylvester definitely was bringing okay his A and, game. No, nah, that, that's that's how he draws. That's I think that's him bringing his A game. I thought that looked good. Uh, I, I think Larson gave uh, his normal effort. I think it was good looking for, for you know, if, if you like Larson's style, it, it was definitely a good example of it. Some of the other guys seemed a little bit more phoned in, obviously. Yeah, I think, but see, the thing about Larson from reading interviews, he's the kind of guy that he's going to be consistent with his art no matter mm-hmm. what. Yeah. Which I respect. Mm-hmm. Although, the art that he did on the Wildcats issue was in no way comparable to the work he did on the Savage Dragon miniseries. You know, he did not put that kind of flash onto it. It still looks good. It definitely looks like Larson. I think it's a, a solid effort, but he's not putting in that killer effort like he was in those earlier issues. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure he burnt out on it. You know, I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. yeah. From what I can see, it looks good. I've only got numbers from Capital City Distribution, which was only one of the distributors that were still active in the mid-90s. I think it's safe to assume at least double the sales on what Capital reported between Diamond and the other distributors available. And that's basically what I'm going off of as, you know, as a ballpark. Uh, so we can look to see which titles won in terms of sales, although it's a little tricky, because initially the image guys didn't want to tell people who was going to be on which of the books when they were doing the crossover month. But the, toward the end, apparently they backed down and they decided to go ahead and tell folks. And so the retailers at least had some kind of heads up on what was going to come out from whom, and that may have affected the sales. But the way it broke down was that Spawn 25 sold 95K through Capital City, so I assume it did about 200,000 copies, roughly. Wildcast number 14 came in second at 66K through Capital City, so probably around 130,000 total. Youngblood number 9 came in third at about 43K, or about 86 to 90,000 broadly. Cyberforce number 8 uh, reported 41K, so it's probably in the neighborhood of 82K. Savage Dragon number 13, somewhere in the realm of 40K, so I'm wondering if there was any like uh, a rush on that issue since 80,000 copies on a book that's drawn by Jim Lee, Wildcats usually selling probably about twice what Savage Dragon was. I'm wondering if there was a rush on those issues. I don't see Savage Dragon number 13 in the wild that often. And then the last place seller was Shadowhawk number zero. It did 35K through Capital City, so probably they're almost 70K total. Oh yeah, okay. So I got to talk about one more that you're not going to enjoy. I read it already, so you didn't have to. Uh, finally, go. the last of the abandoned Urban Storm stories appeared in the Art of Homage Studio special released on December 20th, 1993. It's a Stormwatch story where Jim Lee did full art chores with a Brandon Choi script. It's set in LA at 7 p.m. on April 29th, 1992. The United Nations Crisis Response Team has been in town to do PR and catch a Lakers game. Instead, they were saving people from wildfires. An on-scene reporter asked Winter why the team wasn't going after looters. 
and the Russian explained that they weren't there to do the LAPD's job just to help people. One kid hit a firefighter with a brick, then ran when Hellstrike came after him. Battalion stopped Hellstrike, explaining that it was just one angry kid and that as an African-American, he understood the writing over the injustice of the officer's acquittal in the Rodney King police brutality trial. Hellstrike argued that if the firefighter had taken a bullet instead of a brick, Battalion might have responded differently. Along with Fuji and Diva, the team continued to help Los Angeles into the night. And we're living this right now, kind of, sort of. But not, I mean, not to that yeah. degree, but that was 93. It's been almost 30 years, and this is shit that we're still trying to address, and there's still people pushing back against addressing this shit. Uh, a little disheartening. You would think that that would be a dated story, but it's weird how familiar all this shit is right now. All these arguments in particular. Not so much. If you're a history major, you understand that history repeats itself over and over and over. You never quite learn. Uh, Mr. Fix is bringing that educated dick to this one. Just saying. Doomed <laughs> to repeat ourselves. So uh, you don't have uh, rosy projections? For what? For anything good coming out of all this? It's going off topic, isn't it? All right, man. I'm done. Now we get to go to the spawning ground. You'd think that, oh, we're on the end track now, but we got a lot of mail on the last episode. So okay. uh, Dogs with Swag liked our post on Spawnometer 23, Violator featuring Bart Sears. Everybody else was commenting on the Bloodstrike episode. They included our 20th Century Geek, the 108th Sage, Adriano, all the pouches and Image Comics podcast, Andrea Rica, who's a film director, I understand, Dr. Oh, Ange, wow. Biko Django, Bill at Philly Spider 85, Chris Dunford, Chris Lydon, Christopher Bush, Dario Oliveira, Derek William Crabb of Fanhole's podcast and History of Comics on Film, Dr. Pop Culture BGSU, Delvin, Drew at Nine Boxer Nine, Ed Moore at Teal Productions, the Hammer Strikes, Random Geeky Stuff, Iowa's Joe Crawford, Jason Carpenter, Jason Schmidt, Jason Snick Venable, Jeffrey Brown, Jock Tastico, Kat Kohlberg Writes, Keith G. Baker, Christados, Let Them Fear Your Demons, Malik, Nass, Michael Wagner, Mike at Send Aliens to Me, Mike Peacock, Miracle Man, Not Very Spicy Shrimp, Odell Abner Dracula, Relatively Geeky, Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, Richard Field, Richard G., Schlocktopus Inc., Siskoid, Sue Kent Ant, Talk Nerdy to Me, Translate lesbian planet eater trekker talk x51 aaron stack comics and xenozoic xenophiles michael wagner on facebook great episode joe crawford tweeted yes blood strike is my favorite richard field tweeted i originally liked the characters but i look back now and think they were nothing but cable just not fleshed out so probably pretty much talking about Battlestone and cabot especially right yeah richard g tweeted thanks for the inclusion spawn has proven to have the sustainability of any character in comics we got two nice long ones so we're gonna oh, take wow. a step so odell abner dracula really got into the blood strike episode he wrote doodling and listening to the spawnometer because my doctor said so apologies to michelle fife it was either spawnometer or serotonin receptors honestly i was barely paying attention who cares he noted that he appreciated the eggy pop reference he did like a slew of illustrations he did a comic strip on it talking about blood strike losing his ponytail spectators being fascinated more by cabot's eye makeup than any of the zombie goings on he said for the record i have currently zero insights into the fate of Cabot's ponytail. However, I do have some opinions on this uh, eyewear and the dubious politics of Bloodstrike in the Extreme Universe. And then he goes on to list a multitude of hypothetical stories that could have come out of these issues. A Bloodstrike comic where some new gene carriers just keep dying from COVID over and over and over. A Bloodstrike comic where Space Force is just a smokescreen for moving the zombie reanimation stations into orbit. A Bloodstrike comic where rogue government zombies go out into lockdown and racial justice protests without fear of
of death includes the line there are very fine zombies on both sides a bloodstrike comic showing resurrections that leave the resurrected zombies irrevocably brain damaged also turns their skin orange a bloodstrike comic about long ponytail weaves and the kind of hairstylists that do that work uh, the zombie weave ponytail artists live and work in an infamous New York tower and have clients more high profile than the bloodstrike team a bloodstrike comic about an early zombie soldier test and its delayed effect soldiers have been conscious in their graves for decades and now finally escape that would be fucked up a bloodstrike comic about how an anti-new gene is injected into rogue gods and immortals to keep them dead a bloodstrike comic where splicing new gene in animals results in these things the media dubs murder hornets a bloodstrike comic exploring zombie zen a mindset where continually reanimated soldiers disassociate from all pain a bloodstrike comic where they go into space and meet some borg-like hive mind assimilated aliens some of the teams see that as a good alternative to their current lifestyle of live die repeat and mutiny a bloodstrike comic where the team meets a group of underground morlock types and discover they are escapees from a competing and more well-funded private sector zombie army a bloodstrike comic where after some time of speculation the team discovers one of them is an ai in a flesh wrapper and that after each resurrection they all have more and more mechanical parts a bloodstrike comic where the zombie thinks that he's a vampire john Locke, aka deadlock meets a zombie named ethan promise that's been reassembled from a few different corpses and sees himself as a frankenstein's monster and his codename is promethean a bloodstrike comic where the four-armed woman foreplay gets four additional arms after losing both legs new codename appendiculate or maybe appendiculate a bloodstrike comic where kellyanne conway has a by the way he switched it so that it's like cellyanne hard k conway has a press conference denying bloodstrike exists and even if they do it's obama's fault and that what about the clinton's new gene dream strike blood what about them huh a bloodstrike comic with a recurring bit the secret phrase to gain entrance to their secure paramilitary installation is supposed to be rub the blood but it never works at series end they realize to their chagrin the correct phrase was rob the blood a bloodstrike comic where a priest and a nun get resurrected as zombies the priest snaps becomes a doctor doom type named father lazarus the nun becomes underpants and bathing suit wearing catholic superhero called phenomenon okay there's probably 12 or 16 issues worth of direction, right? I should get a filing cabinet and just write these all down on paper and then repeat the process, the process of drinking a ton of coffee and then thinking about comics. For all the titles, I'd like to write and see what happens to my brain. Nothing will happen with the files. That was a lot of concepts. Uh, yes. Any of them uh, strike your fancy? The uh, multiple limbs for foreplay. I thought it was kind of funny. <laughs> okay. And then we got another an email this time from Mike Laughlin. Thanks for taking the time to read my feedback on the air. I'm glad it provoked some good discussion regarding Bloodstrike. Back in October, November of 2019, which feels like 20 years ago now, my local comic shop had a massive dollar bin sale. For the first few weeks, dollar bin books went on sale for 50 cents each for 20 comics. Then they lowered the price to 25 cents a piece. I went all in and came out with some awesome finds. I found all three issues of Bloodstrike Brutalists, plus Bloodstrike 1 and 25, and issues 26 through 30 from the Tim Seeley written continuation. And you told me that you like Hack Slash, where you were that Seeley had also done some Bloodstrike. Yes. Have you read any uh, of that stuff? I believe so, yeah. yeah. Have you read some of that? Uh, I think Fryhoe got some of it, and we read it, yeah. Hopefully at some point we can catch up with those, but I think that's going to be a little ways in the future. I ended up reading them in order by issue number, although I read number one before number zero. I'm a mark from Michelle Fife's work. In fact, I will give Culper my highest possible praise. I pay full price for the trades. His blend of influences and storytelling sensibilities make his comics among my favorites of the past few decades. Blood Strike One was typical Liefeld nonsense, and I enjoyed it enough on that level. I haven't read too many extreme comics outside of the first year or two of Image. Did any Liefeld series ever begin in any other way? 
way than team attacks a base. And the funny thing about that is X-Force number one infamously swipes from an issue of New Teen Titans where the Titans are the ones attacking the base. So you could argue that every time a Liefeld book starts with team attacking a base, he's swiping from New Teen Titans. Oh, really? Anyway, Brutalist was grim and gritty fun for the reasons you guys went over on the podcast. I was a little lost, but figured out the basis as I read. Let's Strike 25 was another helping of early 90s goofiness. It flowed decently from issue 24, even if the drop in quality was obvious. I never would have bought the comic back in the day, but it was definitely worth 25 cents. The Revival, published a few years before Brutalist, didn't continue directly from 25, which was a little disappointing. It was okay, but I have already forgotten what happened in the book other than Battlestone showing up and being a jerk, which anytime Battlestone shows up, he's going to be a jerk. If I saw the remaining issues in a quarter bin, I'd snag them, but fans of Brutalist or the original series aren't missing much. Okay. And there's, yeah. a, there's a, a whole bunch of Odell Abner, Dracula, Bloodstrike, specifically Cabot art that we'll have up on the blog. Cool. And that's it. Oh, awesome, man. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned, mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give it a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. You are listening to the Savage Fincast. My name is Jim Purcell. I'm Craig Olson. I'm Raven Perez. This is a podcast dedicated to our favorite comic, Savage Dragon. See, I watched some of the Savage Dragon cartoon when I was really young. The cartoon got me into the comic. I've been a Eric Larson fan even before Savage Dragon, and it was just a natural progression once he helped found Image and start Savage Dragon up. I was aboard. Love every minute of it. Really got into his amazing Spider-Man stuff. You know, he became my favorite artist because he's just a guy that's always stuck with the comic art form, and it's just been a joy to kind of follow him through Savage Dragon. I'm happy to be part of this podcast. <clears throat> uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We are Finn-ished. And we're sorry if we offended anybody. Thanks for uh, goofing around with me, guys. Oh, stop. <laughs> please. Jim, end it, please. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The time is out of joint. The year is 1994 or 1944 or maybe 2994. Time is under threat and history is falling apart. Who will survive this crisis? And how will history be changed for those that do? Zero Hour Strikes takes you back to that DC Comics crossover and covers the entire story, issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, as the DC Universe goes down to zero. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes, Zero Hour Strikes, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Legion.
fan produced, not for profit podcast. No copyright infringement is intended, and any use of copyrighted materials believed to be covered under fair use. If you don't agree, you can go straight to hell!